yeah, but some people are already doing Christmas stuff. I think that's already making the rounds. Like they're they're selling Christmas stuff at Costco now. I think. Yeah, because uh, let's be honest. I think Christmas time is the only time that we all agree that it's okay to feel good. And so people want to get to that feeling faster and faster. So Christmas is just all, you know, just uh, in terms of like driving sales, like Christmas makes people think it's okay to spend, you know? So it's like, I think they're trying to get that out ASAP. So as soon as the first uh, first time it touches like below 60, Christmas stuff. Yeah. They want to make that money. The business yeah, store stores have got to be hurting just uh, especially because of Amazon. I feel like everyone buys everything online. Not that many people go to brick and mortar stores anymore. The the game has changed in such a way because it's not only that people don't go to brick and mortar stores, but I think, you, you know, uh, I'm, I'm 46. So I've got like one foot in the analog age and one foot in the digital age. And it, it wasn't just that you went to the store. Like sometimes, Chuck, that's how you met your wife. Is you, ran, you know, it was uh, freezing cold and you ducked into a, uh, a, a store you never go in and she was working. And you're like, who is that? And that's how your family started. Like random stuff happens. That's why, like, I, I got into it on my talk show the other day, not got into it. But, you know, I was saying uh, I, I I have a strong opinion on a lot of things. And I was saying, I think it's super embarrassing for you to use your GPS in your home city. You should turn that off. <laughs> it's, oh, it's shit. I'm, a, I'm a, the worst of that. I put you my GP on, uh, GPS on every day, even when I go to the gym which is like, I could almost walk there and I put it because I like to know exactly like how much longer I have. And I don't know. But, but, but if, my question is, but do we, because we know when everything is going to happen and we we're, you know, exactly when your Uber is going to arrive nine 15, you know, exactly when your fresh director will be here tomorrow, 10 24, everybody knows everything, but yet we're still miserable, Chuck, because I we think you're need right. We know entropy. Much. You need disorder and you need Oh my God, I was, uh, you know, I took the long way to work. I ran into this guy I used to uh, play basketball with in high school. I haven't seen him in 30 years. He's a doctor now. Like stuff happened. And he's uh, he invited us to this fundraiser. So I'm going to get you dressed, girl. And we're going to go to this thing. Like stuff happens when you, you can't predict everything, you know? Yeah. No, I just want to go like off the grid for, I think that it's just a, too much noise with social media and like, your emails and the phone and then just news of this and that it's just too much. Sometimes I just want to, I don't want to know anything. It's, it's not natural to know what everybody is thinking all the time. And especially in the random order in which social media gives it to you, where you're like, you know, Oh my gosh, two teenagers killed in a, in a truck accident. Brown's replacing their starting QB. (laughs) Look at that girl's ass. Anyway, my old high school teacher is a pedophile. Like you're just getting too many, too much information. You shouldn't know this much about politics or about, you know, a team, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers uh, salary cap issues. This is not your business, Chuck. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I think this is the biggest problem for me with social media. Why do remember when you were uh, back in the day when you had a newspaper and you had sections of a newspaper? You had the yes. front page and then you had you know the arts entertainment, the sports section. You're right. Now it's all mixed in. And so if I just want to, hey, I just want to know sports stuff. I don't, I don't want to look at politics right now. But it doesn't. They don't care. They're like, we're just going to give you what's the most uh, going to get you the most uh, clicks and uh, people get mad and, and uh, fired up and and fake mad. It and and that's the thing. A lot of it is like you know, fake mad or fake happy. And it's, uh, there's very few like real tangible, real moments that you see on television. Sometimes you'll catch it, uh, 
you you know, like every once in a while, like they'll they'll be like a you know a cast member that's signing off of a show they've been on, and you can see that you know they'll kind of come out and do a bow or something, and they'll like be that moment of just like real humanity. And those are the moments. The reason that I, uh, if you ever look at like news bloopers, those have like crazy views. They have like four. You look at this channel, it's like how does this have forty five million views? It's because people like to see. The news people come out of that shell for a second and just be like, I, I don't know how to read that fucking last name. Oh, am I on? Like people <laughs> like that because they do that. And they're like, hey, I fuck up too. Okay. I've been looking at you for years and you seem so straight up. I like to to know that, uh, you know, you, you you thought the mic was off as in your sportscaster said, hey, our home team sucks because they do suck. And maybe that's like something that needs to be said. Like that little bit of honesty, I think, has been replaced because the people that have been super honest on social media, uh, eventually you're going to pay for it because you're going to say something that people don't like. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Yeah, because I feel like in some ways it's the opposite, though, because I kind of miss the days where like news and uh, especially politics was boring. Nobody gave a shit about politics. Oh, or my the, God. the news was just they just reported the news. It was an old guy with a mustache and a, and a suit. And that was it. And then, you know, you got the news. It was 30 minutes a day. And then then you moved on with your life. Now it's just it's not just here's the news. It's here's what we think of the news and what you should think of it. And you should be mad and you should be scared of this thing. Right. And, it, and it's just like they should say they should come on the news and say you should not be thinking about politics now to sports. I'm not saying that you should be politically uninvolved. I think it's a bad idea to be completely politically unaware. But there was a point in time, probably the happiest times in all of our lives, where we didn't know who the assistant attorney general was. I don't want to know these people. And the fact that now, if Taylor Swift makes a post, the former vice president has a take on it. Like, what? I don't like, I I don't ever want to think about politics. And I know that I have to. It's like the dentist. But I don't want to have to go to the dentist 16 times a day. That was kind of the agreement. Mm. I'll come here three times a year for the big stuff, make sure nothing terrible is happening, where eventually I'm going to have to get my lower uh, bottom half of teeth replaced. But in the meantime, can you guys do what you're paid to do by the taxpayers and just do your shit and stop being weird? But I, I think that uh, that that's... Uh, that's a that that's a land and that's a ship that's uh that's sailed and that land is far away now. It's like politics are immersed in our culture now and now poli- uh, politicians are more entertainers than anything. What did he yeah, say about him? What nickname did he give him? Yeah, you yeah. got to be who are the most famous politicians right now? I mean, some of these people are just representatives in the house, they're not even senators and they're they have half a million followers on Twitter or millions of followers because they say crazy shit. Yeah. And it's, crazy yeah. shit resonates saying, saying like, uh, Hey guys, uh, I managed to finagle the, uh, the city budget and I was able to get us two more salt trucks, uh, this winter. And everybody's like, can you do us a favor and go fuck yourself? If you say, Hey, my opponent is a fat, ugly whore and you all know it. And so do I, you're going to trend both ways. There's going to be some psychopaths that are like, finally, somebody's talking like I talk. Uh, and then there's going to be a lot of people saying, calling a woman that and d- d- talking like that enough is is wrong. That in this case, they would be right. But it doesn't matter because they're both the same thing. They're both Internet traffic. 
And at the end of the day, that's what we never realize is no matter what you say, it's all about the traffic. It used to be all about the Benjamins in the 90s. Now it's just like traffic. You say the craziest thing you could think of. I, I, I mean, what would Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene or like Lauren Boebert, you think about like what politicians used to retire, uh, used to like have to like step down and resign over? Like, yeah. you know, a lewd text with a secretary that wasn't their wife or, you know, I remember Howard Dean, that that candidate, I think it was like, oh, four, he made that. He's like, yeah, or something in a in a speech. They replayed it over and over again. And he was like a legit candidate and his career was over. They mocked him so much that it tanked him in the polls for making it. He was like excited. He's like, we're going to take Detroit and we're going to take Dallas. Yeah. That, yeah. that was when I barely watched politics. And I remember that was when we all, the, the good old days is what we'll yeah, call it. And I, I remember seeing that and going, I like this guy. Like, I, I don't know anything about his, what he believes in, but I was like, I like his energy. Yeah. It's nice that someone's getting excited about, but you know, now I kind of want it to go back to being boring again. I don't, I don't want any more excitement. I've had enough. Or maybe you can just choose the things that you find exciting. Like, uh, you know, right now, and I don't know when this is going to air, the whole Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift uh, uh, sitch is going on. And God bless those two young kids. But I don't give a fuck. I don't care. <laughs> and I, 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 I wish them well. But... You know, it just can't be two celebrities are dating. Hey, you know, the J-Lo and uh, Ben Affleck. Oh, cool. They're dating. Yeah, they're a good looking couple. Anyway, uh, you know, that that's how it used to be. But now it's like, because Taylor demands so much traffic and so much attention social media wise, it it pulls almost like a, a like gravity, like a larger object on a smaller object. It pulls the world's attention towards her, whether you're looking for it or not. So Heinz, uh, you, you know, Heinz now has a ketchup named after them and there's luggage named after them. And there's T-shirts that have Tavis and trailer and whatever their nicknames are. And there are podcasts about it. And is this real? And the chiefs have to mention it. And now there's a, they, you know, there's a halftime act as her opening. It's there's a lot of people that don't care, but we're like forced to care. And I think that causes resentment. I, but I see, I think there's more people that care than don't. Cause I actually have some yeah. buddies that yeah, they run a website that's like Kansas city based sports media and stuff. And they said when they started out, they were doing like in-depth analysis of the games and stuff like that. And they found out that nobody cared about that. All they wanted was like pictures of uh, Jackson Mahomes and Patrick Mahomes baby. And so now they're loving this Taylor Swift. I mean, they're not, they're not, they don't care about the Taylor Swift stuff, but they are posting about it because that's what gets all the clicks and that's how they make their money. So, right. And, and also let's, uh, let's, uh, finally call out something that sh sh I, I've been thinking for years. And that's that men need to admit that they are as emotional, if not more than what they accuse women to be or are. Because like, it was like, oh, my wife with her romance watching Hallmark Channel. I watch football. What, what is sports? If you look at ESPN, there's no show where they're like, uh, you know, Chuck Schulte had 10 points and nine rebounds. Like those shows don't rate. You know what shows rate? Emotional shows. Was Tom Brady getting back at Bill Belichick? Was that a revenge game? Revenge is emotion. You know, guys crying when they win the championship. Guys fighting the other team. Fans, uh, their team misses a 20-point of field goal to win the game should be a gimme. They miss their reaction videos of grown men with children in the room throwing the remote and breaking the television. 
That's emotion. And men are just as emotional uh, uh, about their sports and about the people tied to them as women are that are obviously not sports fans, that women are about the housewives and following all of their drama. It's it's drama. It's what people have been gravitating towards since the Roman Colosseum. And this is just a different version of it. So the idea that men are this analytical bunch that we just want our sports, you know what like real sports nerds like myself would used to watch that's no longer on the air. Cause do you remember uh there was a show it used to come on basic cables called uh it was sponsored by Zenith and it was like Monday evening quarterback or something hmm. with Ron Jaworski. And he oh, would just sit that yeah and he would just sit there and break down plays. Yeah. He would just be like, yeah, right here Andre Risen brings a free safety up to bite on the fake and then he just, it was just arrows on the screen. It was uh, for anybody that wasn't a football dork, it was unwatchable. And what they found is putting, uh, you know, Skip Bayless and, you know, used to be Shannon Sharp against each other to yell at each other for an hour got literally 25 times the ratings in morning television. Some of those shows are doing like a 0.8, which is 800,000 viewers, which back in the, you know, two years ago, they were putting on uh, maybe more than two now, but like shows like Cold Pizza and those kind of, you know, ESPN morning shows, they were doing like, you know, 150,000 viewers. And that was good. So uh, the the idea that men don't want drama, the idea that men don't care about love, that you don't love your team, you don't hate the other team, you you know, you don't love your homeboys. It's ridiculous. And I think the, the bigger and bigger, even the, this Kelsey uh, Taylor story gets, it just shows that those aren't all women clicking on those links. All right, fellas. So let's be uh, honest on that. Yeah. Well, it's hard to put all men and all women into those two categories, but because there's men that are that are very cold and don't care about sports and don't have any emotion. And they're they're definitely women like that, too. But yeah, there's I'm definitely falling the category of I get way overly emotional with my sports. I scream and yell. I'm jumping up and down. I get mad. I get sad if my team loses, yeah. which is like so stupid if you think about it. But I yeah. mean, I don't I don't know you. It, your sports aren't just like everybody's like, oh, it's just laundry and different grown men in tight pants. Like that's super disrespectful to sports fans, especially diehard ones, because a lot of times sports uh, for anybody when you're growing up as an adolescent, a lot of times sports is the first topic that you can. I can only speak for myself. Uh, the first topic you can feel comfortable talking to people that are significantly older than you about. Like that's the way to connect to your dad who might be kind of distant or your uncle or your 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 aunt that loves the St. Louis Cardinals. And you're or like complete strangers. Absolutely. When else would you high five another grown man <laughs> at an event or hug them? Yeah. You know, it's um, it, it, one of my buddies uh, is, uh, uh, named Joe DeRosa is a hilarious comic. I, I've known him since I did my first stand up comedy gig. He was the uh, the vet in Better Call Saul. But uh you oh know, yeah, yeah 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 that's that, that's one of my maybe my oldest friend in uh stand up and uh Joe told me he was at that hip hop uh 50th anniversary show at uh what's that famous theater in New York how embarrassing the Apollo what's, no the the bigger one than that oh the the biggest theater you can do in New York like the uh Carnegie Radio's... Carnegie 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 the, yeah. yeah Carnegie Hall the 50th anniversary and he was just running out all the acts that were coming out and the crowd was going crazy and uh, I guess uh, there was a rap group named Third Base. They uh, were two white rappers. I and, remember uh, them. Yeah, Pop Third Base. Pop Goes the Weasel? 
Yes, absolutely. And they came out, you know, Pete Nice came out and, uh, you know, uh, Joe, who's a white dude, he said this big black dude just turned to him and said, see, man, hip hop is bigger than race. This is about love. And just he said this stranger just hugged him with two arms like at the because everybody was having such a good time reminiscing about our childhood and stuff. So there, there is that that connection with music or sports or fashion that that is deeper than just saying, oh, you just put clothes on. Whoa. It's it's like it's it's your connection oh, yeah. to the world. Otherwise, we're just people that are gathering goods and feeding our families. No, that's that's a really good point. Um, you talk about music. Like I'm into rock and I went to this convention down in uh this was in Nashville. And there is this uh this band, there was a uh there was a man and uh he was in this band uh he transitioned and now he's a woman. It's it's she. Yes. And so there's a transgender woman on stage at this uh concert, and I'm like, I'm nervous because I'm like, oh god, this is Nashville. Like, what if because I don't like when people are you know, I don't care what your opinion is, but I don't like when people are mean to people. I, yeah, I really that bugs me. And I was it like, sucks. I don't want people to boo her or like throw or make comments. And nobody cared because everyone's just having a good time listening to the music and having and enjoying the music. And they don't care if it's a transgender woman or you know, just or gay or whatever. Who cares? We're just listening to music. And she was good. She played guitar, she knew what she was doing. So right. yeah, I agree. Yeah, it's uh in and and that that uh is what gets me through every day is telling myself and hoping beyond hope that my theory is true is that the people that are online mostly stay there the people that mm-hmm. are online ranting about transgender folks or you know this bashing or that bashing they stay there because that's their community but their community is not the people that really love things they're the people that really hate things and know how to say things in a way to generate traffic but those are the people that are also not you know, connecting with people over music and where they were at their first concert. And I took some LSD and I couldn't find my shoes. And I went to that concert. You know, those people are indoor cats. We are outdoor cats. We like to interact with other people. And I think the people that were probably surrounding you at that concert are very like-minded. And the people that are surrounding people in hate chat groups and going after people, they're like-minded as well. They could just stay over there. And I think we have a good deal. Yeah, those people are so interesting because, like, I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm not like huge at all as a podcaster, but I, I'm starting to get enough comments on YouTube and stuff and social media that, like, you know, you start to get trolled a little. And I had this video; and it was it was so stupid because all I did was put my uh, phone outside the window. Uh, we had a rainstorm here, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is like a hurricane!" And the thing went kind of viral for me. It's I had like a half a million views on TikTok, That's and I lot. had over like 1,500 comments. And I can't believe how many people took the time to like troll me and, and rip on like, oh, what's, yeah, I remember my first day in Arizona. What, you never seen a, a rainstorm before? Like you never seen the monsoon, blah, blah, blah. I'm just like, wow, like just so much hate. And like, why would you take the time to make the comment just to make yourself feel cool? I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, well, I'm, I think those people would ask you, why would you take the time to go to a rock concert when you could stay at home online and attack a 13-year-old girl that's uh, <laughs> tap dancing uh, with, uh, you know, leg braces on. Why mm. not go after people that, you know, you, you you can just attack, they can't do anything physically, and you can hopefully build your credibility because trolls have a community as well. And I think that that's the, the, what we've seen be unearthed by the internet is <laughs> you can find out 
really cool shows in your neighborhood. You can find out uh, the best coffee shop and a Mexican restaurant no one's talking about in your area. But also it allowed flat earthers to find each other. And it allowed January 6th riders to find find each other. And they're all communities, no different than, uh, you know, the former alumni for Howard University or furries. They're all a community and people want to find people that are like minded. So it makes sense. But I think when you're outside that community, it doesn't make any sense to you why somebody would do that. But inside the community, somebody's probably like, well, why didn't you also comment on his uh, the fact that he needed to, you know, uh, his his car is six years old or, you know, you could see her daughter in the back. Why didn't you say something mean about her in their community? They're getting probably critiqued as well for their trolling. Yeah, well, it's interesting because a lot of those trolls, it's uh, whenever it's on YouTube, I oh, not always, but a lot of times I'll, I'll like, who is this person? Because I've never seen them before. And they're com- they took the time to comment on my video. So I'll click on their profile and they have usually zero or one subscriber. And it's a picture that's not them. It's like a celebrity or a, a cat or something. Right. So okay. they have not and they have no leg to stand on, but they're willing to critique your content when they have none of their own. It's very right. strange. I mean, well, the end of the 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 troll bridge, it, it it will begin as soon as you had to put your name on it. If they assigned you a social media like they did their driver's license, I mean, death threats would would go away immediately. Every t- you know, it's weird. We were talking about sports earlier. Every time, like a nineteen year old kid misses a game winning field goal in some college game that doesn't matter and won't matter in a year, I just always think, how many death threats is this kid going to get tonight? from guys his grandfather's age. You know, the, he'll be doxxed online. His girlfriend will be attacked. His parents will be told that their son is a piece of shit. And it's uh, it, it, it's something that is weird. It's, I'm shocked that we haven't addressed it more. Uh, I had a friend of mine who's an entertainer and a popular one, probably considered a eh, C plus, B minus list celebrity. And he's, they, they said uh, that one time somebody was not a fan of theirs, uh, DM them a picture of their mom's house. And it was clearly a picture that they took standing in front of it. And it, most death threats and threats online aren't credible, but some are. I don't want to be in the business of figuring out wh- who's for real, because that, by the time you realize who's for real, it may be too late. So that's one yeah, thing. How do you uh, fix that, that line problem? Up. That's some scary shit. You gotta you gotta make people put their name on it. There can't be an, an, an yeah. anonymous. You gotta yeah. you gotta have something. I mean, you can't get your driver's license anonymously. You can't fire uh, register for a firearm or register to vote anonymously. There's some things that that there needs to be some credibility on. And if you really feel like this person needs to die, okay, it's your right to feel that way. It's your right to type it. But it's our right to also know who is. Uh, identifying themselves as a plausible threat in our community and to act accordingly. I agree. 100%. Yeah. That's interesting. You bring up the thing about the college. I actually had a college kicker on, on my show and it, just the nicest guy. Yeah. I, I feel it is weird when you think like you, you sit there and talk to him. You're like, this is a real person. Like you should not send death threats, especially college kids. I mean, Man. like you said, they're some of them are 19. Yeah. And do you think like he's not like he's loving the fact that he missed that kick? Like, what do you think? Right. He's like, thank God. I was so worried that everybody on this campus was going to put me on their shoulders and parade me around town. I got out of that by missing an easy field goal that I'll think about. Eh, 
every 72 hours for the rest of my life. So thanks, guys. I needed a little death threat on top of that. It's, yeah. it's like most people that are successful and driven and successful in whatever you way you deem successful, your mistakes haunt you way worse than anything somebody else may say or maybe even noticed. I, I'm sure the best hmm. musicians notice when they miss a note and there's not a fan in the audience that realizes it, but they'll, they'll beat themselves up. Like I was, you know, I should, I should have tuned my guitar. That was really lazy. And I, yeah, it, the song really suffered and the fans are like, what are you talking about? But it's bigger than that. You're accountable to yourself. It's not somebody. Yeah, else. that's exactly right. Cause I'm my own worst critic. So anything the trolls say to me, I'm kind of like, most of the time I'm just going, uh, okay. Like what? Like, and I, I've learned that you don't, engage with them because that's what they want. They just, and they just keep going. They'll never end it. They'll just keep responding to you until you stop responding. Right. And it's hard because, you know, honestly for me, you know, you, I'm on a daytime talk show, especially yeah. when Trump was president. Oh my God. Like you can't, anything you would say, it was just, it's over. And I don't care. I'm not on social media probably as much as I should be, but you know, the takes people have, like, you just check your email. And most of it is like, hey, I really appreciate your work. Keep it up. You know, and then somebody is just like, you called him President Trump. You called him Mr. Trump. It's president to you, asshole. And you're like, ma'am, it is 1.30 <laughs> on a Tuesday afternoon. They, the fact I, that someone would take the time ma'am. to email you that or message you, it's just so bizarre to me. Yeah. It, and it would be, I, I have read messages from people. Uh, that disagree with my take and what they've said with me, what they've said to me resonated with me so much. And I'm so appreciative because they gave me a new way to look at it. Like if you and I disagreed about a subject in my heart, in my head, I would be thanking you because what you're doing, in my opinion, is you're showing me how you think and how you look at things. And it might, it's probably different than how I look at things. And I'm like, Oh, when, when Chuck looks at a football game, he didn't even care about the score. He wants to see who controls the line of scrimmage because that's where you really make your mark. I'm like, oh, what an interesting thing. I don't know. I mean, I, I guess the standings might disagree with you, but I could see that like, yeah, control of the line is uh, a bigger thing than maybe just a couple fluky fumble pickups and a kickoff return. Like maybe just overall control of the game is something that is that is a, a measurable statistic that should be looked at more. Even if I disagree, I'm like, oh, so the next time I watch a game, I'm, I'll be watching the line a little bit more. And I'll be like, oh, I see what he's talking about. I see why this team can't uh, throw the ball deep because their quarterback doesn't have a second to throw. All right, Chuck. Even if we ended on bad terms and expletives, I'll be like, for the rest of my life, I'll take that nugget of information about how you analyze the world and take that with me. And I, it, everything is extremely personal to people, but for me, it's more, I'm just kind of fascinated with the way people think and and how it aligns with me and how it totally uh, flies in the face of what I agree with and figure out how they got there. And when you sit down and talk to people about their upbringing, if you do for a second, you kind of get it, you know? Not everybody's parents are, you know, from the Upper West Side of New York and, and, and affluent. Not everybody's parents are, you know, dirt floors and scraping by on 11 grand a year. Everybody's kind of in the middle with their own kind of interesting, weird story. And that's what makes us special. I agree 100%. I love hearing other people's story. And especially, yeah, if it's kind of the same story as you, it's not it's not as interesting. I mean, yeah, there right. might be somebody that you have more in common with. Maybe you hang out with more. But like in terms of like doing a podcast or like if you're just at the bar and you meet a stranger or an Uber ride or whatever, like 
I like getting to know people's stories and, and, and learning about like, that's what some of the most interesting conversations I've had are just complete strangers in an Uber. Like my, you know, I pick up uh, Uber drivers would, uh, you know, I talk to them and they would, they'd be from different countries. I, I want to yeah. hear about, you know, what is it like, uh, come, you know, guy from Cuba, tell me about Cuba. Like, you know, there's a lot of people here that want communism. Like, is it good? You, you live there. You lived in Cuba. Tell me about it. I mean, it's fascinating to hear. And, and not only is it fascinating, the, the, the more interesting thing than even hearing their story is hearing how bored they are with it. Like with, <laughs> with anybody you talk to, whether they're, you know, foreign or domestic, mm-hmm. everybody's got that. Yeah. You know, uh, my mom was a bounty hunter and uh, my dad was, you're like, what? Oh, yeah. Sometimes she'd go pick up a guy and like he'd be in the backseat when I got home from school and she'd take him to the and like everybody's story is so boring to them, but they're so interesting right. to me. And, uh, you know, you know, you were military brats. You lived in Poland. You speak four languages. Yeah. But, you know, I like really like Pittsburgh. You know, it's like, oh, well, wh- what's Pittsburgh like <laughs> as, a, as opposed to Cameroon? You were there for two years. Well, it's weirdly kind of similar. Pittsburgh and Cameroon are similar. And what way? I'm fascinated. You got me. Yeah. And so uh, I, I think that's what I've always uh appreciated about doing stand-up uh and i haven't been able to do it as much obviously i host a daytime shock show five days a week for 50 weeks a year but going on the road and just talking to people because stand-up it's the only time where you can meet strangers and they are total strangers but because you've had a fairly one-way conversation with them for an hour they feel like they know you and in a way that they it, they do depending on your act if you listen to my act you you know some things about me and they feel comfortable opening up to you. And it's not the way they would with their lawyer or their doctor or even their spouse. It's just like, you know, yeah, you know, uh, the wife is in the bathroom. Oh, God, I don't know what to do. She wants to have another kid. I'm not sure. And I'm like, within a second, I'm like immersed in your life for the 33 seconds that she's in the bathroom. Like, but that like gives me like an in-depth look at like, oh, this isn't just a rando sitting at a table, you know, stage right. This is a person that's enjoying my show, but also having this inner dialogue about it. Am I too old to be a dad? And, you know, we're all, it all kind of humanizes us because we're all kind of going through different versions of the same thing, inner torment. Yeah. But we, I think we definitely have more in common with each other than uh, differences. And I wish that we could just remind everybody of that instead of focusing on the things that make us different, which yes, there are some differences. We're not all the same, but there's a lot more in common than there is different. I mean, we all have, you know, we all want to, have money and have a job and eat food and, and, you know, be able to maybe have a little fun every now and then entertainment, maybe a little bit of travel. That's right. A couple of prostitutes a week. I don't ask for much, you know? It's a, <laughs> yeah. I mean, truly, but you know what you're describing, Chuck doesn't draw traffic. I know. That's it why doesn't I scare people into the voting booth. I know. I have to be like, listen, black people, let me tell you this. Chuck Schulte. All right. Listen, I picked up his phone one day he was texting every single white person and it just said, get them. And I was really shocked by that. And we all need to come together. And that would drive traffic. The fact that I'm talking to my homeboy and having one, uh, an incredible conversation won't drive as much traffic, but it will drive the traffic that you want. So you have to kind of make that decision uh, if you are a person that produces content or consumes content. Do you want a lot of bland food or do you want very specific food? And I just want to be, I want to be the, uh, the vegan Thai food of, uh, of content creators. I just want to be a person where you're like, 
you think what I'm doing is interesting. You agree with some, you don't agree with others, but you're, you're going to come back. That's all I want. You know? Yeah. Well, I think you have good takes on daily boss live. And I mean, you have good standup too, obviously. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's unique. And I think that's what draws me to, to you is like, okay, I'm just not like, there's certain people, some of these talking heads that have millions of followers. I can tell you what they're going to say about this event before they say it. They're so predictable. They always get to say the same thing. They're always going to go after the same people with right. you and like your show. Like, I, I, I don't know what you guys are all going to say. I mean, I can kind of predict a little bit, but uh, I mean, you usually bring in interesting uh, takes on things and Joe and the humor obviously helps. Too. Yeah. We're, we're, Cause we're, we really are friends and right. you know, I've done enough radio where, especially early in my career, you know, you'd be like, you're going on the Chuck and Larry show. And I'm like, man, I've been listening to these guys for years. I get to plug my gig on the show. So cool. And the gig, the, the, the segment goes great. And then a commercial, like they turn away from each other, like two cats that aren't speaking. One's reading uh, the newspaper. One gets up and goes to the bathroom. You're like, Oh, they hate each other, you know, because that's, they're putting on an act mm. in between breaks. And the the day to day grind of that would be impossible if we didn't really like each other. And it, I think w yeah. what makes our show special is that we all moved to Denver for the show, so we didn't right. we we don't we never did the show and then went back to our old lives. We all started a life here together. So there there is this like it's a different relationship when you're like, hey, where do you go? Uh, you know, get your hair done. Hey. Where uh, who does dog boarding? Like uh, like when you guys are all figuring it out together, it's more like you're at, at, at a sleepaway camp where there's a uniformity in that you're from different places, but you're in this new place figuring out together. And that's a different kind of bond. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, you can tell you guys really have that bond. It is interesting, yeah. When when you see these people that work together, I see it a lot when I interview the musicians because a lot of these musicians they had success in this band maybe in their twenties. And now they're in their forties or fifties or sixties or whatever, but they're still reliant on that success from the band that when they were in their twenties. So they have to be in the band and they've grown completely apart. And that's yes. why I feel like a lot of these big bands, uh, you know, they tour in separate tour touring buses because they can't stand each other. It's, it's so, it, it's hard for people to hear because, you know, when you hear that your favorite band hates each other, you know, it almost like is a shot against you. You're like, oh, well, uh, you know, I like these people and I like the music that these people can't stand created. Well, what does that say about my taste? But I mean, if you have a room full of creatives, there's always going to be somebody that's like, hey, our, our first album went triple platinum. Let's let's do another one. And there's going to be someone out of the three or four. And the more number of members you have, the more likely it's like, no, let's let's do an acoustic album. And they're like, our fans are hair metal our fans are uh, down South Atlanta trap music. And they're like, yeah, but this one, let's have an R&B singer come in. And there's going to be different creative forces and they may be right. They may be wrong, but to get four, four, five, six creatives always flowing on the same plane, is almost impossible. And, and I couldn't imagine being forced to tour with people that I couldn't stand. But then for a few hours, have to like, all right, here we go. I'm going to kill you after this show. Like, can you imagine like having to like fake that? It would almost okay. make you resent them more. Yeah. I mean, it's soul sucking is what it is. I used to work. I know you were a teacher too. I used to work in yeah. education. And uh, I mean, it just, I started, it was soul sucking to me to work in education. Whenever you're doing anything that you don't really have your heart and soul into that you're not excited about and you wake up and you can't wait to do it. It's like, I don't, it's not, I don't know if there's any price that's worth it to me that to have your soul sucked out.
it, it, it beats you up. And I think what happens is a lot of people realize and agree with the point you just made, uh, myself included. But I think the difference is sometimes you feel that way and you're like, yeah, but for a little while, I got to teach or I have to drive Uber or I have to, uh, yeah, you know, uh, do what a dog walk, maybe all the three in this gig economy. And what happens is maybe you meet somebody, maybe something happens where financially now you're kind of dependent on that money and or you fall in love. And then you get married and now you got a kid on the way. And that kid is definitely dependent on you being a dog walker and a teacher and an Uber driver. And you're like, but honey, you know, I told you I wanted to be a drummer. And she's like, I know, but that was before Lil Al and Lil Chuck got here. Now, this is what you do. And you can feel that resentment. And it comes from a natural place of feeling like these entities came into your world and affected your dreams. But, you know, it doesn't take away from the fact that now you have this responsibility, but it also doesn't guarantee that there won't be some resentment in that responsibility. And I think that's what a lot of people are going through is just like, how do I rationalize who I am with who I thought I was? Yeah. And what's your advice for that, for people that want to do something that I, cause I feel like that is the biggest problem in the country right now. Yes. There's the fighting and stuff. We're seeing that. I mean, but think about it. If you're a troll online, like the deeper issue is that you haven't reached your purpose. You haven't figured out what it is that you're supposed to do. Because if you had, you wouldn't be online trolling people. And that's just like an example because I just feel like there's a lot of people that are unhappy with what their life, how their life turned out. And so they're taking it out on other people. So how do we get people back to figure out what it is they're, they're here on earth to do and uh, help them guide them into that path? I, I, I say, if you look at the, the people that are online the least, the people who probably could sell things but don't, it's because they're people that found what they love to do. And sometimes you go and you're talking with, uh, you know, so, some woman and you're like, oh, what do you do? And she's like, oh, I, you know, I I'm, uh, I, I like to uh, craft uh, furniture out of wood. And here's what I made. And you're like, you made that table? Like, why don't you sell this? Ah, do you think somebody will buy? They don't even, they're not thinking about uh, putting that on Instagram or putting it, uh, making a website and selling it because their love of what they're doing is so much more rewarding. Now, when they find out they can make a lot of money, hopefully they do that too, because you want to get paid for what you love. But what that person has that somebody that may make a ton of money in corporate real estate, but hate every second of their life is that they found something that they would do for free. And they found something that frees them from the everyday grind of trolling or the everyday grind of doom scrolling, or the everyday grind of just finding the terrible thing and everything. Oh, parking at the stadium's a bitch. Yeah, but you're with your kid and it's the playoff game and like put a smile on your face. Come on, bro. This is not a dress rehearsal. You got to have some fun in this life. So figuring out the pockets in which you have fun and you have joy and doing the things that you like. And I think when people are like, I want to be a rock star, uh, you know, and that didn't happen because, you know, uh, she trapped me with two kids or like we had two kids, however you look at it. Hopefully, at least it's the latter of the two. I would I would question, did you want to be a musician or did you want to be a rock star? And both are OK. But if you want to be a musician, you can play the guitar. You can play the drums when the kids go to sleep. 
when uh, the family's gone for the weekend. You can find time to do what you love. If you want to be a rock star, you want that adulation. You want that attention. And that's something that also you're going to have to deal with and wrestle with because if you want attention, there are other ways to do it. If you want attention, start uh, you and your your spouse start a podcast about, you know, I feel trapped and he thinks I trapped him starring me and my wife. And we talk about we talk it out. <laughs> and that's a creative way to get the attention that you want and also maybe make some inroads into your relationship and figure out a better way, uh, figure out like who you are. Ask people around you like what do you think about like honestly be like your best friend the the one person that never bullshits you i've had friends you know back in the day just pull me aside and be like hey man you're better than this uh you know it's got to come from within but you also have to take the the advice of other people if people say hey man you you seem like you've lost your way a little bit maybe you should get back to uh you know fishing you just seem like you were really at peace there you seem like you were really at peace when you were working those after school programs uh you know even if you have to stop doing Uber for a little while, I'd rather we have less money and you have a smile on your face uh, when you come back from working with those kids. Like there's ways to kind of navigate and find your joy in this life, but no one's going to give it to you. You just got to go out there and plausibly fight for it. And when I say plausibly, that means like within reason. You can't quit all your jobs and say, I'm going to be a rock star. Like, come on. What you can do is be an adult about it and figure out the best ways to get what you're looking for out of whatever said activity. Hmm. Yeah, it's an interesting um, dilemma. I feel like a lot of people, myself included, are going through. Like, I, I feel like I'm, I like doing podcasts. I, I, and people tell me I'm good at it, so I'm like, okay, like I've you never absolutely been, are. Thank you. I've never been good at anything, so I'm like, I'm like, I think I should stick with this. But then I get so fed up and so uh, burnt out on trying to deal with publicists and and trying to reach out for guests and like just getting ignored and shit on and. And, uh, and then I see the guests will do another show that's not as, then my opinion is not as good. And it's just so frustrating. I'm like, at what point do I give up and try something else? Cause I don't, and then I don't even know what that other thing would be. Let's rob a bank together, me and you. <laughs> we'll do a two off. I have severe ADHD. So, like, well, uh, you know, I can't promise. I'm like, oh, I thought you said pull the getaway getting... car around at three, oh, okay, uh, Thursday. I thought you Tuesday. great, though. You have your show, you have the new album. <laughs> Whichever yes. one uh, should get, it's called In Earnest. Yes, sir. Um, it's hilarious. It's only audio, right? There's no video portion of it? Uh, there, There is a recording. It's being, uh, uh, what do you call that, finalized now. Oh. But yeah, for right now, it's just uh, audio. And I'm super proud of it. It really, uh, you know, I, without getting too much into it, the, uh, the last two years, I had my car stolen and uh, I had my home vandalized. And it was, it was uh, interesting because, and I talk about it on the album, um, it was the first time that I felt like I had done enough internal work on myself in 46 years on this planet where I knew in real time, I kept telling myself, I didn't know. I hoped I kept saying, this will be funny. This will be funny one day. This because there was, there were most of the times in my life where, especially with the home uh, burglary that it could have gone the other way. You know, where you just go and do something silly because I know who did it. And, uh, you know, it, I was really proud that I had at least done enough work and had a strong enough support system around me to not only help me kind of bees back into the world, but, you know, learn to uh, trust uh, trust people again and, and, and 
also find humor in it and uh, learn a lesson about it and also like realize that I followed my instincts and those instincts were correct and it still didn't work out great. But just all these lessons from all the things that you go through, you go, well, why did that happen? Why did that happen? Well, you're learning things to deal with like a crisis that I dealt with because I feel like the the crisis that I dealt with, especially again with the house, uh, the car, you can't do much about and you park it and hope it's there when you get back. But with the house, it's just like, it's the kind of thing where if you just go, hey, I'm Chuck, I'm a hothead. What can I tell you? Well, there's a lot of guys, men and women, people in jail with that MO. The system wants you to be a hothead. The system wants you to be impulsive. The system wants you to not take no shit, bro. And they got a whole line of adults waiting for people that don't take no shit. You're going to go see, you're going to have a, a CO, you're going to have a PO, you're going to have a judge, you're going to have a court reporter, you're going to have a cop, you're going to have somebody who does fingerprints, you're going to have anger management, you're going to have all these wonderful things for, for people that don't take no shit. Oh, well, yeah. So, it's kind of yeah. like the same thing. Like Whenever you see a homeless person, they've all got a story and it's there's there's always some excuse as to why they're homeless. But it's you could hear the same stories from people who are met, uh, like wildly successful that grew up with the same upbringing. My dad, for one, grew up with two alcoholic parents. His dad died when he was 13. Mom was on welfare. And, you know, he's not homeless on the street. He's doing really well. Right. It's it, There's got to be an inner drive to you to do better. And I think it's hard for people to see tomorrow. You just can't see tomorrow. So you're just like, I can't believe this guy at this concert. Uh, well, this is a perfect example. Uh, you know, there's a Patriots game, what, two weeks ago. Uh, some that fan fighting in the stands, 30 year, uh, 30 year season ticket holder. Somebody punched him. He falls back, hits his head, never regains consciousness. Yeah. That was really sad. There's, there's a, that happens a lot, man. Like street fights are not like, uh, an old Western where you punch somebody in the stomach and, you know, then you challenge him to a duel. Sometimes you're drunk at a bar on a Thursday Somebody says, uh, the bears suck. You say, what'd you say, buddy? And you punch them. They fall back and they hit their head on the fire hydrant. And now you're talking to your kids through glass for nine years for manslaughter. That happens all the time. And I don't think people realize it because they think, hey, it's roadhouse. It's just a little box them up. Whenever you start doing things in which now somebody else's actions can dictate the rest of your life, you're about to be in a world of hurt, you know? So is this something you were grappling with because you say you know who robbed your house and you wanted to take revenge? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Without a doubt, I know who did it. Uh, you know, and it was, uh, it was, it was, it was, uh, and I guess I can say it because, it, you know, it it doesn't, you can still follow the bit. It's very in-depth. But uh, my I broke up my ex-fiancee. And, um, she, uh, I was watching somebody in real time. And here's another thing you don't get a lot of life lessons on, but I was watching somebody in real time spiral and, uh, I didn't know what to do. She just stopped enjoying life. Uh, and, um, you know, we tried medication, we tried this, we tried that. Uh, it just wasn't working. Uh, and after, I don't know, about a year, year and a half, I was like, this is not the life that I want to lead. Uh, she, she, I didn't abandon anybody. She's a very successful person, worked in 
upper level strategy management at a very uh in a major field at a major conglomerate of hospitals and uh i was like i don't know this isn't the life that i want to lead and uh i even though like we were in the home that i'm in now i left i gave her two weeks to pack her stuff up gave her three grand to move out i stayed in hotels for uh eh, two maybe, maybe more than that maybe like three and a half weeks because she was dragging her feet on moving out but i just i knew when we broke up you know i have it's it, i have other things to think about besides just being the bigger person i have to think about as a black man on tv if somebody says you push me or he's he bullied me i without even being able to defend myself that could cost me work. It could cost me my career. And so when I broke up with her, and it's so interesting, man, because I was talking about it for a year before it happened because I just saw her disintegrating. And uh, I told, I asked my, one of my best friends in the world, this dude named John Vargas, I was like, how, you know, when should I do it? And he was like, trust me, homeboy, when the time comes, you'll know. And uh, when we did break up, she, he was right. And she just made one more comment. And I turned down how much sports you watch. But when Vince Carter uh, won the dunk contest and he just goes, it's over with his hands like that. Like, I just turned to where I don't, bro, I don't yell ever. I just, I think I'm like half on the spectrum. Like, I don't get super animated either way. I just turned to where I was like, it's over. And uh, I turned, I grabbed my wallet, my keys. I walked out the back door, got into my car in the dry, in the garage, and I never laid eyes on her again. Uh, I sent her a text that was like, hey you know, uh, please move out in the next couple of weeks. You know, I just didn't want to be in the house alone because once you're in the house alone, what if, what if she's blocking the door? What do I do? Mm -hmm. You know, there's no good scenario that could be, that could become of me being in the house. So I was like, you take the house that I pay for and you move out. Here's three grand for you to get a mover, you to go wherever you need to go. I let her keep the ring. The ring was 15 grand. And I was just like, just, I just, dude, I just wanted to be happy. I'm a happy guy, dude. You know, like I'm, my yeah. friends are goofy. My my friends are so goofy. They're professional goof, goofy dudes. They show up to an arena or to a theater with no equipment and no backups. That's how silly my, I'm a silly guy. I like to have fun. I like to be with my kids. And I just, it, it, this, this person was not interested in that kind of life anymore. And, you know, I just, I, I I knew if I didn't get out, it it could get ugly because she just was a very not physically she never put her hands on me, but just very like that kind of thing where like people kind of do that thing where they're standing in front of you like no you're not going to go past me until I'm done dealing with you that kind of where that could just lead to the wrong area. So I was just like I don't want to be be out of this. And uh, dude, I came back into my house and I was on the phone with my boy John Vargas, and um, it was uh, Labor Day. A year, it would it, this last Labor Day, it would have been a year. And um, I walked in the house uh, on a, the Saturday, Labor Day weekend, and I'm looking down at my phone, uh, you know, just talking to him on speakerphone. And I keyed into my my key, and I'm ta- still talking. And like, as I opened the door, like my voice started echoing, like I was doing a walkthrough uh, at a Zillow house, you know, and I looked to my right and my couch is gone. And then the table, my office upstairs is cleaned out. Like I'll send you pictures. Obviously, I took pictures and all that kind of stuff. 
I mean, just because when somebody has a couple of weeks to steal all your stuff, they go through drawers. So like I had to get new silverware and new towels. And I always talk about like, yeah, you. she took my bed. She took, I had a two-person sauna. She stole that. I had a, 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 everything that I owned. She literally left me with like clothes on my back. And I was, I had a, a rolling office chair that was still downstairs in what used to be uh, my gym. And I remember so weird. I never had spoken to this person on the phone before, but I called this, this uh, great attorney named, his name's Mike, Ar- uh, Mike Iglarsh, uh, Mark Iglarsh. He is a, he's a, an attorney in Florida and he does our, our show all the time. And I don't know why I called him, Chuck. I've never called him before in my life. Maybe there was a part of me, like, legally, do I have any standing? But, like, why he came to my mind, we'd never hung out, you know, post. And this was, like, uh, really right after COVID. So, like, no one had seen anybody in years. And I was like, yo, my ex just stole all my shit. And he just, like, he's a real peaceful Zen dude. I'm assuming he probably went through the same thing, personal growth. And now it's kind of hitting me with some of that. But he was like, look, man as a lawyer, I can point you in the direction of, you know, how to chase down now a used sauna and your used bed and, you know, what shape you get it back in. And I can't tell you, or you can say, I traded all that to get out of this relationship. And I had to start looking at it like that. I had, because I was going to make myself crazy. So you can't make a police report on that. No, because after she lives with its community. Yeah. Yeah. And when I say it on stage, everybody like jaw is on the floor. And I'm like, it's so crazy how all these people with $200,000 college educations, including myself, had no idea that if somebody sleeps on your couch for two weeks, that's their TV dog. That's their bed. That's right. It's it's so it's so crazy. But yet, like, I feel like we have this very like airy fairy like. Yeah, Chuck, you met that random girl at the ski lodge and move her in. You never know, young love. Like, it's a really big deal. Yeah. Well, you like, dodged this is not bullet. a movie. Yeah. You dodged <laughs> you know? the bullet, though, that you guys broke up before you actually got married. Because if you were Dude. Uh, legally married, would you have to pay like alimony or something? Dude, this is the kind of, this is that Kevin Costner second wife where there was a prenup and she still fought it. I don't think people understand, like, like I got divorced. Me and my ex-wife are cool. Like we we were so cool. We use my lawyer. Like we use one lawyer. Like we were just like, we love our kids. It just didn't work out with us, blah, blah, blah. You know, I got you. There's never been any issue with money, whatever we did. You know, we did it uh, in an unpleasant situation. It was the best case scenario. I look at somebody like her and she would, uh, she would have taken pleasure like sitting at a, and a fine Italian dining, just taking a sip of good red wine and like sampling the pasta, she would have taken her time and dragged that divorce out in a way where have you ever met somebody where like you can tell the divorce changed them to the point where they're not the same person anymore because it's just so much back and forth. And you're like telling your lawyer, can we just end this? Yeah. She wants the pushback. She wants uh two of the three goldfish. Yeah. Yeah. She wants, uh, she wants uh, you to give her, uh, you know, uh, one of your tires off of your car every month for two years, just making it impossible to close this up and move on. Yeah, and that's part of the the idea that like there has to also be another a counter voice because I think a lot of people meet people that are very good at meeting people. They meet people that are very good at 
putting on a show and making themselves stand out from other people. And they're good at that because no different than any other con man, they know that when you get to the end of this maze, you're not going to be happy with what you find. But the front of the maze is the carnival. It's, uh, you know, light up things and, uh, hey, let's step right up and look over here. And, hey, ma'am, you're beautiful. Come stand here. Some free candy for your goofy kid. And what they don't realize is once they start down that road, there's no turning back. And I got off lucky because I can't imagine what she would have asked for. I'm sure she would have presented herself as credible in court. You know, college graduate, did, uh, probably looks good on paper. Uh, I, it, it's terrifying. But so something just told me. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. In hindsight, is there any red flags? Because it seems like everyone has a story like this, whether it's a romantic relationship or a friendship or a business partner. They always have, there's always a story like this that somebody just gets fucked over and they don't see it coming. So in hindsight, you look back and go, okay, these are all red flags. Yeah. Yeah, I started seeing little ones. Uh, at first, we were we were super happy, and you know this sounds kind of dumb, but the first thing I ever noticed that like really bothered me is one time. Um, you know, we live downtown. I live like a couple streets off. You know, we live basically I don't know right outside of the city capital, and you know, so it's like I have a nice house, and uh, you know, it's a nice quiet area back here. But like two streets over, you know, it's it's the city. And um, there was a homeless guy the, the last summer that she was here. And this is during COVID. Um, and like, I have a fence that runs along the, the the sidewalk. And he was passed out kind of in between the garage where it kind of juts out and where the fence meets. So it made, it made like a little 90 degree angle that created some shade there. And there was a homeless man kind of just like, you know, just like probably passed out, you know, just from the heat or whatever. and. You know, she was just like, let's call the, she called the police on him. And I was like, let's just take him some water. You know, I was like, why, first of all, why would you call the police to a black man's house? Like, when could that ever be good? Like, uh, the black men and police we've met, it, it was a blind date, didn't work out. We, we should just be, <laughs> we should try to never meet each other. I hope, I want to spark, spark a summit saying, this is I don't I, I don't want to have the handshaking like oh black people and please I just want to be like y'all stay over there we'll stay over here let's try to never interact. So well, it sounds like maybe it, it could have need, needed an ambulance if anything if he's passed out right. I mean, yeah, would... or just like you know how homeless dudes are just kind of like it wasn't like he wasn't spread eagle he was like in the corner in the shade it was like ninety nine degrees that day, and so the police come and they were like yeah we gave him two bottles of water and he left and I was like God. but it's just like she was very much a uh black lives matter t-shirt not this black life you know my body my choice not my body not wasn't my choice to have my stuff stolen it 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 was very much she lived in a lot of uh colloquialisms and a lot of upspeak but i started to realize she wasn't she didn't live that for real she wasn't really an advocate for anybody but herself and Sounds like she's a narcissist. Have you done research on narcissists? I did. Brother? Brother. There are entire YouTube channels on narcissists. There's different kinds of narcissists. I had a narcissist expert on my show. It is fascinating because I was in a a relationship like that too. And I didn't realize it until later 
And I didn't know what a covert narcissist was. And I learned mm. all about that. And I was like, wow, this is really eye-opening. And I feel yes. like they should teach this shit in school. Absolutely. I talk talk to my daughter about it all the time, Chuck, because I watched all those. There's the Indian woman. uh, Yes. Yes. There's an Indian woman. There's a black woman. She's got kind of like really curly hair. Have you Uh, seen the black guy uh, mental healness? He is a narcissist, he says, and he's really good, too. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. You know, because I people throw the word narcissist around, but like they don't really know it when it's in their face. And you know, I definitely started knowing that because, uh, you know, this is not political. I don't care about Trump, whatever, whatever, whatever. Uh, but he's definitely clearly a narcissist. And one thing about being yes. a narcissist is he's that an you overt can't... narcissist. Right. An overt. That's yeah, what but... screwed me up because I didn't know there's a covert narcissist that is like, it's almost a completely different narcissist. And so you don't it's realize they're not like Trump. They don't say, I have to say, I'm the greatest of all time. They don't say that shit, but they, they do this stuff like sneaky. It's really scary. Yes. And like, she, you know, the, the the telltale sign for me is just like, like yesterday, uh, we were supposed to, anybody listening, we were supposed to do this podcast yesterday. We messed up the times or whatever. You're like, oh man, I totally screwed that up. It must've been a narcissist could never do that. They can't learn lessons because that would mean that they were wrong about something and their brain cannot compute. I don't know mm-hmm. if you remember a long time ago when there was a hurricane coming and it was still back when Trump was doing stuff and people thought it was funny and I thought it was alarming, but uh, the National Weather Service had like a hurricane coming to Florida and he took a black Sharpie and he drew the direction that he said he w- it was going to go, even though they predicted it was going to go up the East Coast. And people thought that was funny, but that was a real thing. It's because they cannot accept that something that they're wrong. And I remember an argument we had because her brother had two dogs that he would, she would just be like, we'll watch the dogs. Her and her brother, her brother was like a newlywed or whatever. So they would like, oh, we want to go to Vail this weekend. So the, they would just leave us with these dogs. And now all of a sudden it's negative 10 outside in Colorado. And I'm walking to gigantic dogs, you know, in the, in the in dead of winter so they can go uh, gallivant around. And so these are big dogs. They're tearing stuff up and out. They're dogs. They're running full speed, you know, t- breaking lights off of light fixtures and stuff. And um, so I used to have my podcast studio downstairs. Now it's upstairs. Uh, and, uh, you know, she was like, uh, uh, my brother will be here like 3.30 to get the dogs. And so I start recording at four and just, I just hear just what sounds like a herd of buffalo above my head as I'm trying to record and I go, what? It's like 4.30. What do you, what do you? And she's like, the the dogs are playing. And I'm like, you said the dog's going to be gone an hour ago. And she was like, yeah, but I'm allowed to invite them into our home. And I was like, this is where I work. This is my work as well. And she goes, no, it's our home. This isn't our work. And I go, don't you work from home every day? Wouldn't you say that this is your work as well? And she just like, she just repeated this is our home because she couldn't admit that she was so wrong as she's basically standing in her office in our home. <laughs> she's couldn't her brain. I'm like, you're in your, you you can't, you don't have a leg to stand on. You're standing in your office. You know, she still couldn't admit like, I get it. I'll just send the dogs home. Yeah. You know, and, 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 and it's, people think that that's a little thing, but it's a bigger sign. If you can't admit that you're All wrong. Right. Uh, where where can you go? How can you learn? Yes, exactly. I'm always admitting I'm wrong. I screw up all the time, but that's, yeah, you try to learn from it's it. It's so freeing. It's so freeing. Like, dude, I, that's how you move on from it. Bro. You just go, all right, I fucked up. All right. Well, try not to do it again. 
Yes. That's it. Just, yeah, you don't just tell the other person, no, I didn't fuck up. You're just not looking at it, right? Tilt your head and and the painting's not crooked. Yeah. You just say, yeah, you know what? I'll get a level less next time because I'm super lazy. That's why it's crooked. And then you move on with your life and you don't right. make it a three hour, we're not talking, you know, or sleeping together, which is another thing that Oof. that was that was just a, a faucet that just turned off. And I, I realized very quickly it, you know, there's always those like 90 sitcoms where it's like, oh, my wife doesn't, we're not intimate. When, when you're living that, but there's no jokes written by Hollywood writers, <laughs> it's it's not it's not as funny. Uh, the Everybody Loves Ray is not funny with no punchlines. <laughs> and I, I, I feel for guys that I, I know guys that are like, we got married and it just stopped. Or I also know a lot of women. That are like, we just got married and he gained 40 pounds and started going playing golden tea at the bar. And I'm like, yo, what happened to the dude I met that was a lacrosse All-American? You know, it's it's a very dangerous, when it doesn't work out well, prospect about linking your life, intertwining your life with a relative stranger. I mean, it's super dangerous. This person should be really vetted because if people knew how in control this person you met on Tinder or Bumble or half drunk at a Cinco de Mayo party five years ago. Now this person gets 20% of your dad's will. Like these needs to be things that are investigated, but I think there is a proclivity within a lot of people to want to live a movie. So they're like, well, I never see that in movies. All I see is this guy throws away his corporate life and runs away with this barefoot woman that you know likes to travel and blow off work well that's not that great a year in you know when we need to talk about health insurance and we need to talk about very serious things and fun things and we can't do certain things because your license is suspended because you didn't get it renewed because you don't believe in the overlord of the government and all these kinds of things it's fun for 48 hours but not really good for life stuff you need to make sure that you find a partner that is vetted, that has just as much to lose as you do. And also, like, do you like their friends? Do their parents like them? Do they like where they work? Were they happy before you they met you? All these things that you want to overlook. You know, a question I've learned, too, is to ask about past relationships. If it's like, oh, well, you know, all the exes. It was all, there was always something wrong with them. And then this person is, you know, they say that they're perfect. It's the same kind of thing. It's like, that's a huge red flag. Like, oh, that's weird. Like uh, every relationship you had, like you were always the the victim and you always got dumped for no reason and you didn't do anything wrong. Right. I mean, isn't that, I mean, they don't even realize how, because it it short-sighted, just looking at that sentence on his face, it's like, wow, you've had a really bad string of luck. But maybe, yeah. Uh, best case scenario, there's something wrong with your picker. Or worst case scenario, there's something wrong with you and the people that picked you quickly realize that this is some produce they need to put back on the shelf. So <laughs> one of the two is true and it's not good either way. Yeah. And it shows that you are a person that is not capable yet of any type of real self-reflection. And I think that's the hard part that people don't want to, oh, yeah, I dated Chuck, he's crazy. I ch- I dated Al, he's crazy. Well, all these crazy people, they've all moved on and they're, well, is he in an insane asylum? No, he's 
married with two kids. He's a lawyer in Long Island. Well, he's not too crazy. You know, it, it's it's like there there there's no ability to pull yourself. And I've done that. You know, when I was drinking, I I had a moment at the height by myself in my room. I was like, this ain't working, bro. And I never had another drink again. I quit cold turkey 2019 in December. And it was just an evaluation of like, are you happy? Do you feel good? Are your relationships what they could be? Are you as good as your job as you could be? And the answers to all that were no. And I found the root of the problem, which was me. The secondary root was alcohol. I eliminated one. They did some work on myself. And, uh, you know, things worked out. But like that wasn't easy confronting yourself and like not being able to, well, they did this. And if, you know, if Chuck had come through on his end of the business deal, maybe we'd be millionaire. Like You can always do that. Right. But sometimes it's you, dude. And then yeah. there's a beauty to knowing that it's, it's so freeing to just be like, you no. take control back instead of yes. blanking it on Trump or Biden or the government or the, you know, the corporation you work for, whatever you, you take ownership and you say, if my life is not where I want to be, it's, it's because of me. So when yeah. you say this is the second time you said that, that you did some work on yourself, what does that mean? Cause people say that a lot and I didn't really know what it meant. And I guess I still don't know what it means for everybody, but for me, I know, I know what that means now. Like what's the work I need to do on myself? Like, but for you, what does it mean? Uh, for me, it meant just kind of, uh, you know, first of all, I had to stop drinking. I had to question myself as to why uh, alcohol had become such a part of my life. And it's easy, you know, uh, my job, literally people would hand me a shot when I walked into work and hand me five on the way out and Monday night football, and Thursday night football. And, you know, the nine-year-old's birthday party is always a time to drink. And when I had associated my brand uh, before people were using that term, but just like who I was, you know, it's like I'm Al the party guy. Like I would get into town and, I'd, you know, playing some comedy club in Detroit. And they, oh, dude, bro, I requested Friday off. I'm not even going to work that night just so we could hang on after. And it hit me one time. I was like, wouldn't it be better if the wait staff was saying we had to double our wait staff because we know you're going to sell so many tickets rather than the waiter feeling comfortable taking the night off uh, so we can drink later? It just hit me like all the things that are supposed that I used to think were cool. I didn't think were cool. I start, I stopped thinking that it was really cool to like, oh, my, I don't know. I got an Uber. I don't know. I can't find my shoe. Ha, ha, ha. It's like, yeah, dude, you're 45. It's not. It's, it's not funny. It's not cute anymore. And it probably wasn't cute then, but you get away with it when you're young and more charming and more like, you know, but after a while, you're just, you, you, it starts to not be fun. You start to be resentful when you drink. You're not like, let's get some rum. Like rum is what you drink when you're young and you're still happy. <laughs> yeah. After a while, you're just drinking scotch by yourself, uh, you know, at an Irish bar at four in the afternoon. A guy next to you is reading the newspaper. <laughs> you know, the sports center's on mute in the corner. You're like, this isn't as fun as it used to be. And I just had to make some really easy choices. And when I say easy, like I just stepped back uh, from drinking and didn't even go, even though it's legal here in Colorado, didn't really head right into, oh, medical marijuana. It's like, why am I trying to cloud my mind all the time? Like, what is that? What are you running from? Uh, and, you know, I uh, did some mushrooms. Uh, at, matter of fact, I started doing mushrooms uh, and I don't really do them anymore, but I did maybe like maybe like five times over the course of a couple months and really just like, bro, I would rent a hotel uh, somewhere beautiful in Colorado and just go out and just uh, write, 
and go out and, uh, you know, listen to music and analyze it and walk and breathe the air. And like, you know, there'd be moments where like crying because like there needs that, that stuff is in you, bro. Especially for dudes, this stigma of like women cry. I'm like, God bless you. I wish I could do that more because you, that, 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 that faucet has to be drained. It's not a badge of honor to say, I didn't cry. I didn't cry at my dad's funeral. I should have, maybe I wouldn't have drank for two years in a row because I, I didn't allow myself to process and grieve his loss because I was like, I'm the man of the family now. Okay. Let's call the coroner. Let's do this. Let's just, I didn't have a second to be like, God damn, my dad is gone, you know? And that would have really helped me. And I allowed myself to process all these things that alcohol and fake bar conversations covered up, you know? Oh yeah. Tom Brady's good. You think you can get another one? Dude, every guy in there is dealing with something that it ain't Tom Brady. If we all, there's a reason you're in a bar <laughs> yeah. at 30. When oh, I walk past the bar and, well I, and I see, I'm like, I know why y'all in here, maybe even more than you do. No, that's exactly, that's spot on. I, I, I've i learned the same from, I mean, I don't, I don't, I didn't cut out alcohol completely, but I cut, cut it way down. Like it's just not, yeah. it, because I think when you're in your, at least for me, when I was in my twenties and early thirties, like it was such a, like a, a huge part of your life. Like, it's like, okay, where are we drinking this weekend? Like yes, that's the main, that's the focus. only question. Whereas now it's like, there's most weekends. I don't even drink at all. I'm just like, okay, well, we're going to do this. We're going to watch this football game. I don't, I don't need it. I want to do things that I don't need alcohol to enjoy it with. I want to do the things that I like doing sober. Cause otherwise what's the, then otherwise you go, well, what's the point? Like, and especially when you're in those loud clubs and stuff, I'm like, I don't like this. Like, why am I? So that's that, why I was drinking Chuck, because it's so annoying. That's what started happening to me. One of the things that I do remember that my ex told me, um, it was really like a, me staring directly into my inner psyche, but I was in Vegas, uh, like doing the regular Vegas boys trip. And I just like, I, I had been for years feeling this way, but I'd never want to articulate it because I felt like I was like going against my, my brand. And I'm not using that to be a douchebag, like the brand that I established within myself. Everybody sees me as fun party Al. I'm fun party Al, Chuck. That's what I am, Chuck. Or you persona. That's another. Yes. That that another persona, way to yes. That my this is my persona. When people see me, they know we're about to some shots and like, yeah, we're gonna get it. And we, had, I had a lot of fun. Let me not, you know, I wasn't having uh, the backyard hooligan brawls. You know, I was having fun. You know, hanging with the boys, chasing girls, watching sports. It was, it was good for a little while when you're younger. But you know, there, I, my ex said to me, she said I called her because she was like. I think I'd overslept and didn't call her from Vegas, but, uh, she, uh, she, she told me when we did talk and I only remember because I was so drunk, but she just said, I kept saying, I don't want to do this. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here anymore. And I remember, even though I don't remember the conversation, I remember like her having angst about me being out there. And I'm like, I don't want to go here anyway. Like you start being angry at the world. You're like, I don't even. So if something happens, like you get a flat tire on the way to a nightclub, you don't want to go to. You're like, I should have never left, left my house. I didn't want to do this. And I stopped. I started to realize, oh, I don't have to. There's not uh, British soldiers showing up with bayonets and making me go. Like, what? No, nah, yeah. dude, I'll, I'll meet y'all. Come through the crib. We'll do something else. And I started finding other things that I like to do. And I started challenging myself. Like I was very tech. uh phobic and now i would say like man i put my built my studio i understand lighting I, I i can make music i can video edit 
And that's through hours and hours of just, but it's all these things I wanted to do, Chuck. And now I get a chance to do it. I wrote a movie script. I wrote a kid's book. Uh, I produced my own album. I'm making uh, a music album. I'm doing a series called 23 and G about how uh, hip hop and commercialism uh, fused into one. And that's why you see Snoop Dogg selling Coronas and, you know, why hip hop is so used in marketing and my theories behind that. But all these things were things I always wanted to do. But I'm like, oh, after this next shot, dude, let's go line them up. And then after a while, you realize you're not doing any of these projects that you said you claimed that you were so interested in doing. So now I cherish every day. And I just like, uh, man, I love my little goofy old man side projects and the my series projects. I love my job. I love connecting with my kids and like removing that layer of distance that you have from the world with alcohol and uh, and just feeling feeling the good and the bad and like letting that is sometimes it got to sting a little bit duck you know if if i got some bad news got rejected from something instead of going out and drinking the pain away like i want it to sting let that burn drive you to the next thing i don't want to forget how mad i was that i should have got that promotion i didn't like no now i'm gonna work twice as hard that's amazing i love that's so inspiring and that's exactly right you need to be able to feel that even with like you said the, the your passing of your dad you could use that to fuel your life. Like, how does your dad want you to live? Like, he doesn't want you to go out and drink the pain away or whatever. He wants you to live your best life, which you, right. I think it sounds like you're doing. Man, I'm happy. I'm happy, man. I, I never knew that I could be this happy and this satisfied. And really, my only frustration comes from not being able to get to all the things I want to uh, want to do. So it sounds just, like you're doing so much. How do you juggle so many projects? And I mean, I feel like I, I just try to focus on the podcast and YouTube channel. I feel like that eats up so much of my time. How do you do all these other things? Well, that's because you're doing it right, Chuck. I just because <laughs> <laughs> you have to. It doesn't seem uh, like it's good enough. But it, look, man, it, uh, some of this stuff is uh, no one wants to hear this. A lot of it is luck. And it's like, yeah, hard work. Obviously, you do that part. But. You know, if you're uh, an artist, you know, and you make sculptures, okay, cool. But when you become like the biggest sculptor in the world, it's because Kanye West mentioned you in one of his albums because he saw you um, at, at a local uh, art thing that he saw. I mean, he might not be the right artist to mention, but like, so you get your name gets dropped to the right person, and this person standing next to uh, their wife's brother in law who's an art dealer, and he looks at your stuff, and now all of a sudden, it's somewhere. It's a lot. Some of this stuff is you have to put your best foot forward in terms of like, this is the best YouTube ch channel I can present. This is the best stand up that I can, I can present. You take it to the people, you let them look at it. But in terms of like going from, you know, it's like, you know, successful in your own right to, to some core to, to blowing to where like now, you know, you have a publicist and you have guests lined up. I mean, a lot of it is just like right place, right time. What you're talking about, right time. You know, some people are doing podcasts about the Bachelorette with their friends because that's what they liked. And then it got popular. And I'm sure they they refreshed their feed. And, you know, they have 300,000 new subscribers. You know, you're a flat earther that's on some kind of weird website. And all of a sudden, conspiracy theory becomes more popular. Joe Rogan starts talking about it. There's more of a uh need for consumption and now like some guy that you know used to have some weird thing out of his basement has seven employees it's right place right time i mean he's still talking the same stupid stuff but there's now an audience that was looking for that so you just have to position yourself so that when the audience comes 
and they go, yo, I like that interview with Al. I like that interview with that kicker or that narcissist. Oh shit. He got, Oh dude, I know that guy. I know her. And after a while, you know, I think it was Malcolm Gladwell had the tipping point, you know, I'm living proof kind of with this show. I mean, daily blast live. I was sure we were going to be canceled within the first season. We should have, we were a terrible show, terrible show here. Here's, here's luck personified. Start this show, Daily Blast Live. We get here. There's not even a studio built. We are practicing in the rec room of an apartment complex. Like this show that you see on 88 uh, in 88 markets in the country. We were practicing. My co-host Erica, Jeff, Tori. We were turning to each other with our cell phones. Like, okay, now you go. Okay, now Jeff, you respond. We'll turn. Like there was no, it was just a, it was a soundstage, an empty black soundstage. You could have filmed anything in there. We get on, we have an initial boss. She's horrible. Uh, and she was definitely, I I think, trying to tank the show uh, so she could move back to L.A. Uh, she gets fired through a set of circumstances. I'll tell you off air, but they are so beautiful. Oh, my goodness. Oh, sometimes karma wins. And uh, so <laughs> she gets fired out of a cannon. And we get um, uh, a guy named Bert Dubrow. He started Jerry Springer. He started Sally Jesse Raphael. My co-host Sam knew him from back in the day in L.A. He's ready to get back in the business. He comes to Denver, changes our set, changes everything. We're still kind of mediocre in the ratings. But the thing with daytime television, why it's so hard to move up is because you got these titans that are just sitting there forever, bro. You know, uh, Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, uh, Ellen, all these shows, they don't move. So there's no space for younger younger uh, shows. But just weird timing. Ellen goes away. That Judge Judy goes away. Dr. Phil goes away. Dr. Oz goes away. All these titans start to kind of fall, start to get older. Ellen has controversy, whatever. And then the pandemic hits. All these shows go on hiatus. They're showing reruns. Nobody wants to see that. But you know what? There's a little show with two people in an empty studio, like just talking, just talking, covering news, reminding people that the world is still out there. And when we come back from pandemic, bro, we 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 were ready to go. We were ready to go. Then we were ready. We were a real show. And then we start getting guests on. We make them laugh because we're like, yeah, you're famous and we're fans. But like, you're going to talk like you're on our living room because we don't know any other way to do it. We're not going to. Good to see you, Chuck. You've got a new book. Cares. <laughs> like, you know, I know. I we, can't we're going to. Yeah, we're going to bust balls and have fun and cry and laugh and have a full day and a full experience with you. And, and and hopefully have you come back and people resonate with that. And, uh, you know, now when I go out, you know, it's not crazy for me to get recognized three or four times, like when I'm out somewhere. And it's it doesn't like I, I think the mushroom separated my id or my ego. Like I have no emotion towards that, except for I'm really appreciative of of the fans. I think maybe some years ago, I'm like, you, you know what? I am the best. Now I think about it, I is I am awesome. Like I don't my whole thing is like, you know, I just want to keep making fun content and do things that continue to make me interesting, not only to the outside world, but more importantly to my kids and to myself. And I feel like when you when you're true to all those things, how can you go wrong? So, you know, I hope I hope that means something to you in terms of like, dude, you don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody's like, yeah, uh, you know what? There's going to be a show called Judge Judy. It's going to be this tiny four foot ten Jewish woman. She's going to tell people to shut up and what they should do. It's going to be a huge hit. And you'd be like, what? I'm a huge Judge Judy fan. 
I still listen to, I still live my life by one of these rules and everybody should take it. If something doesn't make sense, it's not true. That's the best thing I've ever heard because it's so true with real life. And anytime you heard something, you're like, that sounds like bullshit. It, it or, you know, it just, it, you know, it's just such a great philosophy. She had all these great ways to look at life and all these things people to take away. And it's like, you don't know what's going to be big. Who knew that, uh, you know, an ex-UFC announcer would have sway over a presidential election like Joe Rogan? Who It's the guy from news radio. You don't know. Who knows? Yeah, like, that's so, like, crazy. It's crazy. But people look at the world like, yeah, Joe Rogan. Like the, the dude from Fear Factor that's making people eat bull testicles? Has uh, Bernie Sanders is on his show? How'd that happen? He's a great random. I, I don't know. I know you're not a huge fan. I, I think Jeff is on the show or some, one of the other people too, but man, he, he has some really interesting conversations. Who Joe Rogan? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm not, no, I'm not anti Joe Rogan at all. My only issue with him was just the, the COVID stuff, just because there's as somebody that uh, my undergrads in biology, I went to graduate school for biomedical sciences. I did medical research. Once you start with the notion of just, this thing works on your body. This doesn't when there's something as serious as a pandemic, especially like when you know that if something happens with you, like you get COVID like he did, you have access to the best doctors. It's not fair because you're telling information to people that you have to know do not. And you have to know there's a part of you that does not know what you're talking about because it takes years to know just a little bit about just DNA sequencing or it. I used to work with mRNA and I like, I'm seeing people on Facebook posting about it. It's like, what it, what world is this? Like I used to wear a lab coat and like, you know, work with mice. And like now like people's uncle are like, let me tell you about mitochondria. And I'm like, all right, let's do it. Like if people knew the intricacies of these things, it, 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 it's like somebody thinking that they could coach a football team. And like when you see the intricacies of like what the offensive line is doing and what signals they're calling out and what that means and what's a decoy, it takes a lifetime of junior high, high school, playing, understanding, breaking down hundreds of hours of film just for somebody to go, I could have done that better. It's like you couldn't. Like anything that you get really good at, it takes your lifetime to get good at. So just like show people that respect, especially when you're talking about people's health. That's all, especially in a country without socialized medicine. Where isn't that how I, we... I, I, I went a fifth of my life without helping uh four fifths of my life and no health insurance. And Chuck, I'm running at three percent for my battery. Uh should I can I charge my laptop? Because I can only have I can have my sound and my camera on, uh, but I I can't charge my phone. It's so annoying. Okay. Uh do you wanna do you wanna pause or uh yeah, we can uh, pause. Okay, give me uh maybe give me like uh 20 minutes. Let me just throw it on the charger and I'll be ready. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, I'm gonna go to the bathroom. <laughs> okay, all right, perfect. Uh, okay. Pause, pause, pause. Edit, edit, edit. I'll see you in a minute. Okay. There we go. Okay. All right. Sorry to bust yeah. up the flow. No, no, it's good. It gives me more time to think. Yeah. All right, we're good now. Cool. Yeah. So yeah, no, Joe Rogan. I, I do like Rogan's. Like, I don't. I want. I don't watch uh, every interview. I mean, how could you? But some of the ones he's had are so fascinating. But. I see what you're saying with the COVID stuff too, how people were like, everybody was an expert, wasn't just him. Everybody was an expert on, on uh, vaccines and drugs and uh, COVID. And the one right. thing I liked about that Rogan said though, is that he was, which was something that 
very few people said was, which I thought the news should be preaching is eat, eat right, exercise. This is the time to get healthy because they know if you're in better shape and you're taking better care of yourself, you have a better chance to beat it. Right. Yeah. No, that, that, that's all very true. And I mean, I think that would probably go for almost any uh, ailment you might have. The, the thing with the, the vaccines is really, I think they should have just told people consider this a seatbelt for the car accident that is going to be COVID. The seatbelt just gives, gives you a better chance to, to, to make it through. But don't you think also sometimes it did more harm than good for some people? Like, I mean, there was people that they're, they're having their little kids take the vaccine, which may, and then they said, Oh, well, if you don't do it, you're selfish because it, it protects you from spreading it, which then they said, no, actually it doesn't do that. But then, so why did, like, I, I think if you're young and you're healthy, I don't think you needed to take it. Now, if you're obese and you're 78 years old, yeah, you probably need the COVID vaccine. Cause if you get it, it's going to kill you. Right. Well, I mean, I think again, absolutely. The kids are fine, but it's like, can the kids go see grandma? Can the kids talk to their teachers? You know, as a former middle school teacher, there were only 13 of us for middle school of where 3,200 kids, you know, so you can't afford to lose too many working professionals. And I think that was really part of it was just, uh, you know, my co-host Sam, uh, her brother-in-law, Eric, uh, passed away from COVID when he was 43 years old. Uh, he was considered to be the sickest patient alive with COVID. Uh, he's 43. He was an incredible, he was a surfer. So he was like one of those rare 43 year olds that had a six pack. Uh, he was, he was in incredible shape and he was one of those people that, uh, sadly just, it just hit him hard and he never recovered, had to have a double lung, lung transplant. Only a few of those have ever been successful. He lived for maybe about another three months after that. Uh, but I watched her go through that. And as somebody that, uh, watched, uh, a human being disintegrate from when I met him years before to seeing him post COVID, it was something that I'll always live with. And, you know, in terms of vaccines, it, I, I look and no matter how we feel about it, the fact that I go to baseball games and basketball games and movie theaters and don't think about it anymore, that, that I, I couldn't see that when we were in the middle of COVID. Like I couldn't foresee a time where I would feel comfortable around large groups of people. And, you know, I don't think that their rollout was perfect. Perfect. I don't think the way that they framed it was perfect. But we also have to remember these are human beings and no one knows, no one knew what they were doing, quite frankly. Exactly. That's the thing that I, I, I wish that somebody would have just said, hey, we don't know everything. This is what we know right now. So this is the best course of action based on what we know. But this whole like, no, I know this is the how it should be on either side was so vexing to me. I just couldn't t- I couldn't take these people that knew what they were, you know, demanded that they knew what they were talking about 100 percent because nobody knew. Do you, you want to know why I uh, thought that the vaccines were safe? And uh, it's it's really a sad commentary on our country is. I knew uh, uh, as a country that functions under the capitalistic system, there is no advantage and there is no want by the state, by the government to take care of its citizens. The government wants you to get out there and get back to work. And I I felt like that when people were saying get back to work before we had a vaccine or when 
Uh, there wasn't enough of the population was vaccinated. I don't think that they were like, oh, Chuck's grandmother is going to get sick or Al might get sick. I don't think they cared. What they worried about was like, is somebody going to be at that window when you pull around for fast food? When it's time for tax seasons, are there going to be accountants there so they can get us our money? I really felt that the government wouldn't do anything for our health. They would do anything for the economic greater good. No different than it would, uh, you know, prescription pills were allowed to flood the market. I don't think the gov- all the government knew is that they were getting their money. All hospitals knew is that they were getting money and doctors were getting bonus checks. Mind the fact that they're making heroin addicts out of people that used to be upstanding members of the community. Uh, I lived that in that I ruptured my Achilles tendon in Florida in the mid 2000s. I lived in Miami. That's where I taught middle school. And I remember I used to drive past those uh, like CVS is where, you know, they're they're showing all these documentaries of people lined up. And when you're living in something that's going to be a documentary one day, it's interesting because you don't go, there is something scandalous over there. You just go, that's weird. I just kept saying, I was like, what? Why is it? Why does it look like Black Friday over there? You know, like, and I didn't put it together. And when I ruptured my Achilles, my do- my doctor, you know, they sent you to after uh, after sur- your his an outpatient surgery. You know, they uh, he he gave me this back when they used to give people oxycotton. I think this is even before oxycodone. And I t- I took one or two right after surgery because the pain is so intense. But I stopped taking them just because they make you crazy constipated, which I didn't realize. That's why people also get hooked on laxatives. I also had a doctor that I was telling him, like, you don't need to fill this anymore because uh, because I, don't, I, I feel OK. I, don't, I didn't even have any money for rehab. Like I had to rehab my ruptured Achilles by myself. I didn't have health insurance or anything. I was a 30 year old playing pickup basketball. And my doctor was refilling my he's like, just take it, just get it filled. And I didn't I thought that was weird because I wasn't taking them at all. And I had full pill bottles of like 60 pills of the the real stuff before they even started watering it down. And I was so, as a black man, I was so removed from pill culture that I didn't even know that they had street value. Like I, I had no idea, but I, you know, had this have been 10 years later, I mean, you wouldn't know me. I'd be gone because, I mean, the way that my doctor was throwing like Donkey Kong, throwing barrels of pills at me. So when I hear that, when I watch these documentaries, there's a crazy documentary called uh, Crime of the Century on HBO. And it is, I mean, I live that when your doctor's just like, bro, whatever you need. And I remember years before I even ruptured my Achilles, I knew that I didn't know it was a problem, but I remember I gotten back from Costa Rica. I used to have a girlfriend that lived down there. And I went down to Costa Rica with my buddy, Mark, and uh, we met these girls in the the last night uh, that we were leaving, our flight was at like 5 a.m. So like 2 a.m., we leave the club with these girls and we go to a Denny's <laughs> that was, you know, 10 minutes from the uh, San Jose airport. And we all got our different meals. Girls dropped us off. He, my boy Mark lived in Cleveland. He had a layover in Houston. I went back to Miami where I was living at the time. And my boy's dad called me and he goes, uh, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm fine. Uh, Mark had crazy food poisoning. And then couple of days later, I had insane food poisoning and the girls ended up having it too. Some at this Denny's. That's not the big deal. 
the thing is, my stomach was in such bad shape. I had to go to the hospital as well, but I just went to urgent care, uh, not urgent care, to, uh, to the ER where they just separate you by a sheet. And I just could hear the there was a, a, a married couple talking to the doctor and the guy like you have to understand these conversations were not happening in my world. So I didn't even really understand what I was hearing. But uh, the the husband just goes, I don't know what you're giving her, but look at her. It's killing her. And, and the doctor goes, OK, well, yeah, well, I'll just have my uh, my nurse uh, write another prescription for that. And he goes, you don't understand. That's why we're here. You're killing her. And I was like. Remember hearing, but I had no context for this situation. You know, this is three, three or four years before I would rupture my Achilles tendon. But I didn't know that this had been going on for so many years. And even once I started getting the pills living in Florida where, you know, they were sending fans of people down to fill prescriptions and go back to their native states. I, I still didn't know what was going on. So I say all that to say I'm not a believer in the government. I just I, oh, I believe that the government or for right? yes, but they That's are a the, business. They both, I don't trust either one of them. No, as you shouldn't. They're not your dad. You know, <laughs> anybody you'd be nice. <laughs> but uh, you know, I just don't maybe I just don't have that kind of trust in my heart. So the only the only trust I did have in my heart is I was like, the government's trying to get us back out there and working. You think the government likes cutting checks to a bunch of people that are sitting at home watching the prices, right? I don't think so. Like they no, want to get they, you back out there. They and were just getting, they, they, they weren't they getting money from the government, like you said. So they're, they're just trying to push this thing because they're in bed with the pharmaceutical company. I mean, there's so much corruption with all this. I don't, I don't try. And then I don't know if you watched the Republican debates last night, but oh my God, that was such a shit show. I'm like, we just have no leadership. And the people in Congress are like, I mean, it's like a nursing home out there. Like you got these people in wheelchairs that are walking in. Right. Like, I mean, it's just a joke. I, I just can't imagine. Like, what does China think of America right now? Like, I mean, we must be the laughing stock. I mean, it's crazy. It, it, it is the argument for a, a dictatorship in that you can move <laughs> in one direction. Uh, every four years, we we kind of uh, pull the emergency brake and go in another direction. I don't know if that's necessarily good, but I also uh, see the downfalls of a dictatorship. Uh, very few people can handle absolute power. And I've, I think if you look in the annals of history, almost nobody has. Uh, when you look at a country like ours, we have people our age and you have young people that want to see change, but not enough young people to to really rally to to become a voting base that's dependable. The voting base that's dependable is old folks and old folks tend to be more conservative and more apt to fall for fear mongering. And so if you tell them that, you know, Hispanics are coming to sex traffic your granddaughter, they're going to believe that. Uh, quite frankly, everybody is coming for your daughter. And quite frankly, drugs are everywhere for your son to take at college. Quite frankly, colleges are dens of 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 rape and sexual uh, molestation. That that it's everywhere you go. There's a nefarious element. What you have to understand is like when you go out into the world understand who you are and what you're up against. And not everybody that's smiling and wants to take a picture with you or wants you to come to their campus or wants you to join their team and sell this product has your best interest in mind. I think you need to tread lightly whenever somebody's telling you to take something, whenever somebody's telling you uh, to do something. Now, as it comes to vaccines, vaccines allow us to interact with each other. There's a reason that uh, 
ask anybody that went through the polio ec- epidemic what that was about or has had uh, rubella or mumps or measles. These are the kinds of things that kill people, uh, you, you know, and the idea of being wary of vaccines is OK. But the what life was like before them was much worse. And I think everything's not going to be perfect, but for the greater good and for a society just of our own of 320 million people, there has to be some type of at least public trust that they're going to make sure we're healthy enough to continue to generate wealth. It would make no sense for them to have 120 million citizens that are unable to work. Like the state cannot support that. They probably could. They just wouldn't. So I just felt like they wanted to get back people right. back to work. But don't they also think of it in the same way the pharmaceutical companies think of it? It's a numbers game. Hey, we can make this drug and this is going to make so many much more people healthy. And, you know, we might kill like eh, 1% of the people that take it. But, you know, look how much money we can make by doing that. Like, and then when we pay off these lawsuits. We'll have 100 billion in lawsuits. We'll still make 200 billion. So I guess we could kill a couple hundred million people. I mean, right. there's, there's weird like th- people that think like that. It's really creepy to me. I, I was talking to my co-host, Jeff, about this today, Chuck. Oh, shit. And See, I, I said, haven't watched today's episode yet. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I, it was off air. We were in between commercial breaks. And I was like, that's why you'll never be a billionaire, Jeff. That's why I'll never be a billionaire, because you can't make decisions like the one you just laid out. And the only difference between a pharmaceutical company and the state is the pharmaceutical company doesn't have to take care of your three kids that are now left with no parents. The state does. That's true. The state, yeah. the state has to have uh, state-run rehab facilities and state uh, deal with uh, domestic violence and and and. Don't you think the- that the state and the government? Don't you feel like they kind of want everyone dependent on them? They like that power. Like they want to control. They want everybody dependent on them. Like they don't want anybody else. To, they don't want you to be independent. They want you to be dependent on them, so you'll vote for them. Well, yes and no. I mean, if you look at uh, what has been allowed to go on uh, in our financial district where people have been able to make, I mean, Bernie Madoff got his first uh, inquiry about the Ponzi scheme he was running in 1992. And that was allowed to continue on until when did he go down? 2015? Oh, I know. My my dad is a financial advisor. And he told me, he goes, there's no fucking way that that guy made the returns that he was promised, whatever it was, 25%. He's like, there's no way. You know, you knew he was crooked. And my dad's not on the NASDAQ, right? He's just a regular financial advisor. So if he knew that, how did these other people not know that? It's because he was making money for a lot of people and they don't care. And that that's, that, that's my point about the state. The state doesn't, I mean, if the state wanted people financially, uh, y- you know, beholden to them, they would have shut somebody like Bernie Madoff down. What if you are a, as a state know somebody's crooked? Why would you want that crooked person to have, uh, you know, sixteen billion dollars? They the state kind of lets you run wild for a long time. If you look at all the every documentary that we see, uh, whether it's that the you know there was that leggings company that was an MLM or any of the MLMs that have been able to run wild, you know, uh, Amway has a uh, has an arena. You know, Betsy DeVos was our uh, secretary of education. She is from the Amway dynasty. If you make money, you can do whatever you want. And the state doesn't mind you having money. The state 
having you as a dependent means that they have to pay for your kid's lunch, means that they have to pay when that kid that had no parents uh, hits juvie for the first time at 11 years old and stays in and out of the system, uh, you know, until they're 52 years old. The state doesn't win anything with that. The state is fine with, uh, you know, uh, you going into a neighborhood that's been full of uh, proud Italians on this side of town and just knocking it down and, and, and making a mall, as long as you can pay taxes on it. There's no loyalty to anything but the bottom dollar because everybody that's in this business and the business is being a United States citizen is in it to make money, to capitalize on the person in front of you. So if that means that we need to uh, turn the other cheek as the pharmaceutical industry and the Sackler family uh, stack billions of dollars before we kind of try and throw a Band-Aid over a problem that is now a gaping, gushing wound, okay. But I mean, I I didn't see any of them go to jail. There's no there's no penalty for making a ton of money, even for nefarious reasons. I I don't. I mean, if you look at a lot of the people in our Congress that were like selling stocks during COVID, you know, getting the jump on things and selling things off when they knew things were about to shut down. I mean, that they didn't go to jail. Yeah, that's there is really no up. punishment for being a disgusting human being. And I think that's the saddest uh, indictment of this country. Uh, That's the uh, shit that I wish we would call out more as just a society. I mean, we call out um, racism a lot, which is great. I think that is great. But why don't we call out, like you said, being a disgusting human being and money hungry? uh, And I'm not saying they can try to make these laws, but the, the, the rich people always find a way to loophole the money out of it. Why don't we just call that shit out? I mean, that's what I kind of liked it. When Oprah and The Rock said, oh, we want you guys to donate our money to the and people just said, fuck you. You're asking us for money. Like, I mean, I kind of like that personally. Like, I know their heart was hopefully in the right place. But I mean, it was it was interesting to see people kind of stand up to that. Yeah, it, it was just the only thing that disappointed me about that is. That Oprah and The Rock, for whatever reason, they did that. It, there used to be a period of time you think about something going back as far as like Farm Aid where Bruce Springsteen, you know, they raised money for different causes that they felt were were worth it. The interesting thing is a lot of times when there is, I mean, I think between the two of them, Oprah and The Rock donated $10 million to the Rebuild Maui Fund. But I'm like, why, why is there no public outcry for venture capitalists to pay in for people that made right. incredible sums of money? It, yes. It's just... I think the money that people see that angers them is the money that you can see. You see somebody like, oh, some YouTuber made $19 million. I hate them. But it's like the people that make the real money, the people whose yacht casts a shadow on the rock yacht, you don't know their name. (laughs) Oh, the the black rock guy. You know that guy? Yeah, the Cokes and all that stuff and all the guys they hang out with. Yeah, the guys that are buying Supreme Court justices. There is a those people an, scare me. They, yeah, I mean, it, it, it that's real power. And, the, you know, the idea that... See, that's why I think I need to quit podcasting and get into, like, some sort of corporation, business, finance, and make money. Because then Chuck, I can... Chuck, you, don't have, opinion, the, you don't have the heart to do that. Neither do <laughs> I. The things that you have to do for... Un, uh, the things you have to do to acquire ungodly wealth are ungodly things. And you, you so and I... Is that a clean way to make it? 
No. You don't think Oprah made it clean? You think she did some ungodly things? I think that that was probably a a different time. Uh, just in that, I think that like uh, going back to Joe Rogan, he made enough money from being a probably the fifth male lead on a fairly successful show, news radio, successful television show in its own right in the nineties. But that was back when you could make syndication money and you were good. There were ways to make money in certain pockets. But now, as we just are kind of hopefully coming off the heels of an actor strike, the people you see on television aren't making that much money. There's a because of the way that this whole thing is structured, you see the same thing with the GM strike. The when you have the corporations that are no longer beholden to the people working for them, whether they be actors or auto workers, and they're beholden to the stockholders. Well, they're going to make sure that their stockholders are taken care of. And their stockholders are going to be like, you know what, Chuck, you've been such a good uh, CEO of this company. Why don't you set your own price for what you deserve to be paid? And you're going to say, yeah, I think I deserve a $40 million uh, increase. And they say, so do we. And when your workers go, hey, where's our money? I can't put it. They're like, hey, what are you going to do? There's a reason that Amazon workers were going to go on strike. UPS workers are going to go on strike. Auto workers are going to go on strike. Actors are going to go on strike. Football players, baseball players do lockouts. It's because the corporate greed, it's it, it, it's it's almost like in a weird, gross analogy. It's like a zit. It just builds up until it's unsustainable. Right. And but we... That, no, but but we outnumber them, right? And and this is a bad example because it's a stupid reason. But like when they start boycotting things, like the Bud Light thing, which is stupid and silly. But instead of when, what if instead of boycotting a company because some they don't like the transgender spokesmodel, what if we boycott a company because you know what, you guys are fucking greedy assholes. You treat your employees like shit. Uh, you know your product killed kids or whatever. We're gonna boycott your fucking company. We would put these uh, some of these places out of business. And who would replace them, Chuck? A new, younger, more savvy all version. All the pop of them. Amazon. I don't. Yeah, the there's pop there's... Amazon or the mom and pop pharmaceutical company. Do you remember when? See, you're old enough. You remember this? Like when I was a kid, there was like mom and pop banks, which yeah. is crazy to think of now because they've changed the regulations and stuff. And you know who did this was the the big banks. And they said, oh, no, to be a bank, you got to do this, 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 and this. You got to have like 20, a team of 80 lawyers to write all the regulations and things. Be And so they put mom and pop banks out of business. There is no mom and pop banks anymore. And it's happening now with everything, with restaurants and uh, you know, like uh, drugstores. Remember like mom and pop drugstores? Now, now, those are good. now when you see those, you're like, ads. what's going on in here? Yeah. Like when you see a place that just says pharmacy, it's like Rick's yeah, it pharmacy. You're like, what like, is that? Is this like a marrow? Is this like uh they sell them like street drugs? Like what what is this drug store? Like what is this? Yeah, there used to be people in your community that were real people that you would go out and you talk to. And we uh as a collective, it's not all our fault, uh, but this is part of the Walmartification of America, uh, where Ugh. you know you kind of want all your things under one roof, but I'm not about to sit up here and dump on uh, the average American citizen, but it because it's our our society set up where there's no longer a way really for uh less than a one less than a two person income usually it's two people plus two side hustles or maybe two people plus 
three side hustles between the CEO. My wife drives Uber. I do taxes in the, in the off season. And, um, you know, my wife owns a, uh, you, you know, she does calligraphy for weddings or whatever. Everybody's <laughs> got, everybody is working so yeah. much. It's sad. It's that it's sad. with your kids, you have to go to Walmart because you got one hour to get your daughter eyeglasses, to get your son's teeth looked at, to get your tires rotated and to get some milk and some goddamn cereal. And, there used to be a time where you could just be like, Saturday is the day my family shops and we walk up and down the street or, you know, interact with human beings and go see you talk to the person that worked at the plant store. Hey, did those orchids come in? Don't take that one. That one's not doing well. Wait till the next year. Like you would know things. But because we're so busy now, all our stuff is do- dropped off on a box in a box, including our fucking food. And it's in front of your door. You take it inside like a squirrel and you 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 build your dinner, you build your own uh, home uh, home monitor TV uh, stand. You do everything by yourself. You're enclosed in your walls and then you log on to the Internet and you vent. But I think. The narrative of Mexico sending us are their rapists or. This about this group of people or trans people are coming to get your kids. There was less of that because you used to sit across the table from a Hispanic woman if you worked at GM every day in the cafeteria. And you'd be like, I know our kids are fine. Yeah, you you would know people that didn't look like you but had a common goal and lived in your community. And now you work from home. You get your food sent to your home. You even get your freaking dates sent to your home with Tinder and Uber. So you don't interact anymore. So the world now is viewed through the lens of your phone or your iPad. And the only thing you're going to see on there are the things that trend because they're really good or really bad. So you're going to see really good bodies and really bad people. You're going to watch murder podcasts and you're going to look at uh, ways to contour your cheekbone uh, on YouTube. And you're going to never talk to somebody that looks different from you. You're never going to see how a conservative person could come to the conclusions they've come to because you live in your ecosystem and everything that you want to do is right. And the people on the other side just want to see the sheer destruction of this country. It's a simple, easy, digestible narrative. It doesn't challenge you to think. It doesn't challenge any of your ideologies. And that's right on time for a lot of people. No, that's spot on. Yeah. I think there's just like a lot of, it just seems like our country is just in such a downward spiral. I would, I would love to see, that's why I watched the debates last night. I was like, okay, maybe somebody's going to stand out and step up and be the leader this country needs. That's the, you know, the whole thing was like, oh, we're going to bring this country together. I, I haven't seen any of that. I feel like we're just further divided and people are stressed out and struggling. Well, who, who's going to lead at 2% Chuck? Leaders don't lead if they don't get elected. And yeah, that's, that's what, I mean. what and, and what do you think but, of a RFK Jr., by the way. I was curious because he's a guy, he's not, and they say he's anti-vaccine, but if you listen to him, his whole thing he says, no, I'm actually pro-vaccine. I just think vaccines need to be done better. I, I'm I'm for higher standards of vaccine, which I think is great. He seems like he really cares about people. And he seems genuine. I don't know. Maybe he's full of shit. Maybe I'm falling for it. But no, I like you, that guy. you can be genuinely full of shit. <laughs> and that's OK, too. No, I think he's have because. You heard him? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I've heard I've heard a lot of the things that he said. 
The issue is, and in, in, this kind of gets back to a bigger point, I haven't seen what he's done. I've seen that he leans into that last name. Would you know RFK Jr. if he didn't have that last name, Chuck? I sure as fuck wouldn't. Well, because I, I know, you know Secretary of State, and like you said, all these obscure politician things that I never would have known five years ago. I didn't know who the Secretary of State of Arizona was. Now I know who it is, and right. you know the governor and all, and all these different all these different people that I don't even think I knew the name of my governor growing up in Washington. Oh, I, just, I absolutely did not didn't. give a shit. Um, yeah, um, unless you know, sometimes their names were on the gas pump, but uh, or it'd be like the comptroller, and I'd be like, "What is that?" <laughs> you know, I wouldn't even know what these things were. I still don't know what a comptroller does. But, you know, as, as far as RFK Jr., I, you know, I, I kind of like to see people that have worked in the industry that they um, have a lot of opinions about because it's clearly something he's passionate about. I was passionate about the sciences. I dedicated roughly 10 years of my life to it, uh, not including teaching middle, middle school science. Having a bunch of theories on things and being able to do those things is are two different things because how can I correct you on an issue that you know you don't understand the intricacies of? Like I wonder if I asked him to draw a cell, if I asked him to tell me baseline stuff, what are the essential amino acids? Can you roll through well, most of the periodic table and give me understand elements? I think his stuff is more. He isn't he a lawyer, so his stuff is like more like fighting these companies. And challenging them and and raising the standards and and higher and more regular. See, that's the thing is like oh, the country is a. Uh, I feel like it's so backwards. You know, we have all these, like you said, these loose regulations in the financial financial industry, um, and uh, or sorry, yeah, and then like we have we don't have we need stricter regulations in the financial industry and the Food and Drug Administration because I feel like it, those things are just it's kind of like this free for all. And it's like the food and drug, especially, I feel like that's something that needs to be heavily regulated so that we don't have to worry about that. I go to the grocery store and buy my food and medicines, and I don't need to be worried that it might kill me. Yeah. Well, that's going to cut into the money, Chuck, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. I mean, I, I wish we were living under your administration. Uh, I wish that we had people that ran these companies that didn't do math problems like, uh, our baby formula is going to have a certain amount of rat poop in it, uh, some shattered glass, maybe a couple fingertips mix, mixed in there. But overall, we'll, uh, this amount of people will die. This, But, you know, if we substitute this organic nutrient for this fake chemical, uh, some kids will have a bad reaction to it. But overall, we'll be able to say th th they're looking at math. Yeah. They're not looking at or just you. a number to them. It's right. It's, it's just a number. And it's, you know, and what it is? Then, it's the price really, of doing business. Yeah. And then what really pisses me off is when they do these commercials and things and, and uh, you know, they, they, they throw it's just like the, your ex with the whole, oh, Black Lives Matter. We care. Oh, really? The NFL you care about? OK. Um, hey, how much money did you make? Uh, how many billions? How much did you give to communities? Right. How, how long, how long money did you cover up those is? concussions? That yeah. you absolutely knew what's happening. How how many players did you pump up with Toradol so they could go out there and play with a torn pectoral muscle? The, the thing is, exactly. the money always wins. And we can talk about the NFL. We can talk about pharmaceuticals, but it's the same thing. There are going to be people that are like, look, all these people, I, I how you think uh, Dallas built that stadium out there? Uh, with with the that big red bucket from uh, March of Dimes, <laughs> no, they built that from people going in there to watch Emmett Smith and Troy yeah. Aikman. 
So when Emmett Smith says, hey, I can't lift my right arm, they're like, go see the doctor. And now here he goes. But the problem is they don't have to see Emmett or player X or player Y 10, 15 years later when they can't remember how to get home, when uh, their wife has to wipe their rear end uh, and they're 39 years old. The, The fallout comes later. But what comes now is I line my pockets. If we got to pay out a couple of people at the end or a couple of Mia Copas, or I have to stand in front of a podium and become, you know, the donkey of the day for, okay, you want to see my yacht? That's mm, sad. It's, it's, it's so weird how we kind of just accept it too. Like, we're just, we're just like, oh, well, that's just the way it is. Like, but if people stood up and got together, we outnumber the yachts, you know, there's more people with uh driving Winnebago or a Yugos or uh, whatever, whatever shitty car, Geo Metros or whatever, whatever yeah. the shitty car is that I can't think of. There's more people like that than are, than are, than are having the giant yachts that uh, overshadow the smaller yachts. Yeah. So we, the people, so, okay, so let's, let's play that out. So we, the people, so the 320 million are going to rise up against the eh, 70,000 that have 5 million plus in the bank. Okay, well, we are going to have to elect some leaders. Okay, so we elect out of that 320 million uh, thousand leaders that are going to speak for the people. Yeah, okay. Well, Chuck and Al are going to go speak to them. And they go, we walk into their mansion and we go, we're here for the people. And they go, hold on one second, Chuck. And two of the hottest women we've ever seen come and take our coats. And they sit us down and the hot women sit next to us, uh, get us some scotch. And they go, "Uh, here's a check uh, with your names on it. You go ahead and fill that out and then remember what you came in here to talk to us about. And you and I will look at and then when you're done with the check, uh, the two ladies needed to see you guys uh, upstairs in, in the adjoining bedrooms. And we come out three days later wearing white fur coats going, we talk to them. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. They're they're yeah. actually not bad. <laughs> no, you're, you're totally it, telling you, the story of the, the Sackler thing. Was it, what, what exactly. Was the he went up there and he was, yeah. It's like, yeah. I haven't even seen that, uh, but it's like, that's oh, how yeah. it works. You can't. I've seen all the, 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 there's like multiple shows on it. It's there, there was just a recent one. And yeah, it's, there yeah, was painkiller. Yeah. I think, was that one? Yeah. It was so funny. The guy comes up there. They had to convince him to like, it's this one guy, which is insane. The one guy was able to like basically approve the drug. And all they had to do was convince him. And yeah, I think they use those techniques that, that work, especially. You on know that. why? Cause they work. Yeah. I you mean, know, what do you think the mafia does when they need you to do something? Right. They don't put a gun to your head first. They give you a line of drugs and uh, some booze and a couple of uh, chicks. And they say, hey, Chuck, we need a favor now. And you yeah. go, what? We're not friends? No, we're not well, friends. It'd be You'd nice. Be a if, pawn. Yeah. I mean, I don't even think we need the people with the yachts and stuff. I think we I think we could do a lot on our own uh, helping take care of each other, which that's I will say with the Maui thing, like hopefully people were able to give to that. And uh, I guess, you know, we got to take care of our, our own people because the people with the yachts and uh, the giant mansions in Maui didn't step up to the plate, which is sad, but unfortunately I guess that's the way it goes sometimes. Yeah. And that's where the government is supposed to come in that the government, it didn't seem like the alarms went off. Now, granted it's an Island and things run a little bit differently on islands. I spent a lot of time on islands. I used to work for a carnival cruise line. So I've been, been all of them. And island time is a real thing. I know people are like, what about the the emergency broadcast? They don't. It's a different world. And I, I know you're American city, 
thoughts on the issue, but in terms of culturally, like that's not top of mind. It's a different lifestyle and is positives and negatives. I'm not saying I'm not making an excuse. I'm just saying I didn't find it shocking that, you know, the uh, the emergency broadcast system wasn't working in Maui. Uh, we can leave it. Really? So do you think do you, you buy into any of the conspiracies with Maui that some of this was either if it wasn't on purpose that people are going to swipe in and uh, and use this to take advantage of of taking the land and re- rebuilding it for themselves or selling it. But you can just go do that. The people that want things and have the means just take it. They don't need conspiracy theories. And I think that that's where we as the as the people fall short and underestimate, I want to say our enemies, but our others. You know, as, as for the Maui thing, I don't lose track. Oh yeah, it, it, yeah. It, it, you know, there. If you conspiracy theories are interesting, they're so and fun. They're they're fun, and but I see this again. It goes back to I don't know. It's like the vaccine. I don't say yes, a hundred percent this way or that. I just go. This is interesting. I I don't know. That's what makes them so fun. That's they, a flat they, Earth. I'm pretty sure it's there's not a flat the, Earth. Yeah, probably not with the flat <laughs> Earth. Uh, but you know, conspiracy theories. They're fun, but it, whenever something is uncovered that the government has been doing, it's pretty simple. The pharmaceutical companies weren't like doing anything like that uh, that was covert. They were giving away drugs for nothing for a long time. Anybody, even somebody that didn't know what was going on. It was so obvious it was going on to just a citizen. I was like, something's going on over there. They weren't doing it under with some weird undercover Green Beret uh, network. They were just giving drugs to people and be making them heroin addicts. When, whenever you know, but there was no yeah. transparency. There was no like this might get you addicted. They flat out lied. And see, that's the thing with anything, anything in the pharmaceutical company because. To be fair, there are some pe- drugs that save lives and things. Yeah. So pharmaceutical companies do do some good, but and that's the thing with the Food and Drug Administration. There's we we need transparency and visibility so that we can assess assess the risk ourselves. Like I think it should be like a maybe like a one to ninety nine scale. Like an apple, okay, you got pretty low risk unless you're allergic to apples. But you know, a, a pharmaceutical drug, okay, this is going to be more risk. And like there was just none of that. They flat out lie. Oh no, it's not addictive. Like such bullshit. I mean, it, it, it's it's awful. But when you have the financial aspect that just represents so much money, who's going to be transparent? Because whoever you bring to the table to bring tra- to be to bring transparency, they're going to either get rid of that person, uh, they'll kill your credibility, or they'll try and pay you off. One of the two. But there's very few people that are like, I am an absolute, well, maybe since like Ralph Nader, where like, I am a whistleblower for the little guy. Other than that. Yeah, that's kind of where RFK lies a little bit. Y- yes. But in terms of like leadership, but Ralph Nader was was more also talking about, you know, consumer goods and like what's a ripoff yeah. and what's like RFK. My issue is if you are not a physician with uh, some type of Merit, not even a physician, excuse me, like a researcher, somebody that's like, I've dedicated my life to this. I've been to symposiums. I've been the lead speaker, like somebody that is looked at as a voice in this area. I really have trouble because I I don't, there's not any part of me that believes that RFK thinks that he's doing harm. 
But there are people who don't vaccinate their children and send them to school that, uh, you know, depending on what your religion is, don't allow for your kids to get blood transfusions or whatever you believe in your heart will make them a better person, will make sure that they go to heaven, will make sure that they are going to be this or that. And you can end up killing yourself or others. And again, now that circles back to the state because now the state has to raise your kid. Now the state has, because of the decisions you made, it's not again that the state cares if you wear a seatbelt or not, or if you wear a motorcycle helmet or not. The reason those laws came in a B is because dad was getting out on his, on his Harley on the weekends, killing himself. And now we have to, we as the taxpayers have to share that burden. Unfortunately, it's not an empathic or a loving way in which we take care of our citizens. It's considered burdensome and it affects the bottom line. And the bottom line is what gets people elected and not elected. Everybody runs on the economy. So if you're whether you're the mayor or the president, you have to tell people, look, under under my administration, I got so many people back to work. That's how you get paid. It's like, hey, I would vote for that. Whoever wants to get people back to work, because I feel like that is a big issue. I mean, just with all the people on the fentanyl on the streets, I'm like, this is is wrong. I mean, this is just morally. And that's another thing where nobody's stepping up and we're all, and I think there's going to be a documentary on that someday that, Hey, we all just walked over these homeless people that are addicted to fentanyl or uh trank is the new one. Have you seen that one where they just, no. they're like zombies. They just yeah. stand on the street and they just, their heads are down and they just rock back and forth. I mean, it's the yeah. weirdest freaking we're living like in a apocalyptic movie right now. It feels like, and well, it, it's a movie that we wrote the script for Chuck. Cause don't, don't forget, like we were alive during, uh, you know, uh, nine 11 and desert storm and, you know, everybody in every bar that I was at was let's bomb them. And, you know, we, Late night hosts were making jokes about we invaded the wrong country. I'd hate to see George Bush did a mother-in-law joke, whatever the hell. And we got ourselves ensnared in the Middle East for 20 years. Well, we sent a bunch of we talked a bunch of shit over here, and then we sent somebody else's kid over there. They came back fucked up as expected, and we gave them a Bud Light and a salute had a jet fly over at a baseball game and said, good luck to you. These are 20 year old kids that saw their friends murdered in mass that saw and had to kill people that probably were not a threat to them, but they couldn't make that call. The things that we've at, that we ask people to do for frivolous reasons. Uh, we don't understand the fallout from that. So because we were reactionary after nine 11, instead of figuring out who the, the true perpetrators of that crime was we just went after the first Middle Eastern country that seemed uh, strategically convenient for us. We then, at first it was like desert storm, then it was desert freedom, then we're going to bring democracy to Iraq and Afghanistan is going to be this. After 20 years, we left and two weeks later, the country was right back to where it was. So what do we have to now deal with that? We have to deal with all these people that are coming home from their third and fourth tour. And well, we don't have any money because we spent it all on Iraq. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So that, like, so now we're like, well, where are all these addicts coming from? Addicts are, are people that have a lot of times dealt with so much that they're 
in order to keep their central nervous system from snapping, they numb the pain. We see this no different than people that were molested, uh, people that have undergone incredible trauma. They People are going to, your body's natural reaction to protect itself is to numb itself. And so when you go, how is that woman 500 pounds and an alcoholic? I guarantee you there was some molestation back there if you look further enough, further, uh, far enough in their past. So when we look at these drug addicts and we go, how are all these drug addicts on the street? I think, I uh, please look this stat up, but it is at least one in three. It might be one in two homeless people that you see on the street are former military because the demons that these people are dealing with, uh, as somebody that had a father that dealt with the VA, there's not enough nothing over there. And so you have people that are calling out for help that are saying, the drugs you're giving me are making me worse. The husband that returned to me, the wife that returned to me, are they're not the same person. They're violent. They are paranoid. Uh, they are all of the above. And the government says, we'll see them in nine and a half months. Maybe. And if somebody doesn't have the support system of a husband or a wife or a family to come back to, you see them on the street. And that's why there's been this explosion. I can only, I'm here in Denver where it's whole blocks of tent cities. I mean, there, there's a reason that all these homeless people came to be. And it's rarely because people are just really apt to get out of their home and into the the freedom and the lifestyle that comes along with being homeless. It's a lot of times it's people that have been through a great amount of trauma uh, that have to resort to such means and have no support system. And that support system has been taken away through, you know, just giving people basically shitty food for the last 30, 40 years, gutting public education, you know, uh, allowing prescription drugs to take over. The crack epidemic, which threw a generation of black and brown men in jail, destabilizing the home. And we say, well, why are these kids acting up? They're acting like they don't want to go to school. It's because the system has abandoned them in every way. And when you don't feel attached to anything, when you don't feel attached to this country that says that you can be all of these things, but your life is so cluttered with chaos. You can't see through. Oh, we're back. Okay. Yes. They, <laughs> Sorry, uh, I'm taking so much of your time, but thank you. No, for stop. This is awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I think we're solving uh, the world's problems. I feel like kind of, yeah, or at least we're shining a light on some things. Honestly, man, I feel like conversation is, is the genesis to everything. And that's why it's in it. I, I know it might seem antithetical to what I've been saying with the internet because it's like, well, doesn't the internet cause conversation? Well, yes, between like-minded people. I think the issue is like you never interact with anybody that disagrees with you extremely or even slightly because you just say that they're a hater, they're anti-patriotic, they're racist. They're uh, misogynist, all these words that they might be, but they might just also be somebody that has a different opinion than you. Right. And I, it, and even if it is, if they are those things, don't you want to understand why they are those things and why they believe those things? Because maybe there's a reason that just like the guy on the street that's homeless, 
you know, he saw some shit in Iraq. And I mean, cause you think like, there's not a good reason to do fentanyl. Well, if you're that fucked up, I mean, right. maybe that that's all you felt like um, that's all there was. But yeah, I wanted to tell you uh, before we got off that I did Google the statistic. It said, so I think it's about 10%, one in 10, which oh, is in 10. Still way higher than I ever thought. And then it says also, I, uh, again, this is the internet, so it must be true. Um, 50%, <laughs> you're uh, 50% more likely to become homeless, uh, for veterans. Yes. Maybe that's just that I was, I yeah. was yeah, it's, uh, I mean, that's crazy. That's 50% more is an incredibly sobering statistic. And it's like, if there was any activity that somebody that you loved was lined up to do and you knew that that was the stat of you said you know you're going to do this thing uh you're going to go in on this uh weird uh home mortgage thing and either you're going to be best case scenario you'll be fine worst case scenario you'll be 50 there's a 50 percent chance that you'll be living on the streets would you let somebody that you loved take that risk and, no, but I also think that uh, in, in the in the, the veterans uh, or the military establishment's defense, I think for some people the military saves their lives. Like it, these are people that totally can end up on the street, and then they go in the military. But then the problem is, it's just when your service is up, they're like, "All right, well, have a nice life," and it's like, right. you've been t- telling this person what to do, what time to wake up, what to wear, what to eat, and you had made all those decisions for them, and now you're just same with the prison system same thing and now we just say all right you're on your own like that's not a good it's not a good uh system and then we marvel at the recidivism rate and we're like can you believe they're back in here again yeah well if you have to mark two-time felon on your on your job application you're getting turned down at wendy's and one of your friends is like do you want to make 10 grand in 10 minutes what's your answer going to be you know how do you yeah and that's what and people seem you know they get mad about that thing and then but then it's like well are you hiring any former felons like would you hire a former felon like how do you help these people get back on their feet because again it's the guy with the yacht is not coming to save them so we no. have to do it as citizens small business owners mom and pop business owners and things like that are gonna probably have to pick these people up right and and that would uh, be greatly facilitated if you, there were some incentives uh in there for companies to do that if there were some protections like hey if you're hiring, uh, you know, this nonviolent offender, here's a couple tax breaks. Here's uh, here's what happens if they work for you for more than two years. Here's what we'll do to make sure that they are supported, to make sure that uh, you feel safe and and, and, and all these things. And I, I'm, and I wanted to clarify. Yeah, I, you... I hate that we have to do that, but you're probably right. It just sucks that there's just not this mentality of like, you know, like I want to help people. Like, I guess I just because I have that mentality, like I want to help people. I, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of, as I, we take a little break or whatever, I'm thinking, um, you know, there's a comedian in, uh, in, in Arizona and he was asking me about guests and I told him to hit you up. I was like, I'm, I'm thinking this can help you and him. And right. I'm always like, trying to think, how do I help people? It's a weird that more people don't have that mentality. Well, I mean, it's, it, I think a lot of people, their default setting is how do I help myself? And also make myself feel good in the way that like, no, I'm, I'm helping them too. But I mean, it's okay to be selfish. Like Everybody's a little bit too. selfish. Yeah, yeah that's, okay. that's it. That's totally okay. But uh, uh, a citizenry that that props each other up, it, it it it's hard to imagine under a system that asks you to capitalize on your citizens. That's why 
when you have mom and pop anything, dry cleaners, whatever, they are not going to do as well as a corporation that can out-advertise them by a hundredfold, that can undersell them by tenfold, and has brand recognition in which the customer says, you know, when I go places, you know, there's a little cachet to, uh, you know, shopping here rather than there. There's a little cachet to walking out of a high-end store as opposed to, you know, a mom and pop secondhand shop. Uh, you know, ironically, uh, vintage styles are in so, um, you know, uh, Goodwills and everything are flooded with suburban teenage girls paying 60 bucks for jeans that somebody wore in the 1970s. But until you make it fashionable or advantageous for the buyer to buy local, to support their neighborhood, there's no incentive to. And it, it's it's a conundrum that we have seen since the mass marketing, uh, since malls prolifer- proliferated, since big box stores proliferated, since, uh, you know, economic uh, growth has kind of stagnated uh, for the middle and even working middle class. There's... N- There's not a lot of incentive, and there's also not a lot of resources to support local, to buy organic, to go to a farmer's market on Saturday. Some people don't have time on a Saturday morning to go shop at a farmer's market. That's a luxury. Buying organic food, go go to a Whole Foods. You look around in there, and you're like, see, all these people are in shape, and, uh, you know, there's a 53-year-old woman in front of you, and her back is just ripped with muscle. It's because she eats great food. And she goes to good uh, trainers and 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 has been taught to care about her health. It's not that the person in line at, you know, uh, a, a local kind of lower end grocery store doesn't care as much about themselves. It's just that they can't. If you can get two hot and ready pizzas for 10 bucks or one sack of organic grapes, you got three kids at home. What decision are you going to make? Are just are. Our hands are forced in a lot of ways that we don't see. And instead of looking up, we tend to look to the people at our left and our right. And we say, well, how could you be poor? You're fat. You know, if you really oh, cared yeah, about local, you would do it. But people don't have time. You probably saw it when you worked in the schools. Because I was in the schools for 17 years. So I saw every, I mean, it was really good experience for me to see America and see, you know, I mean, I, I also had kids who'd come in with very wealthy parents and everything was doing you know, going great. But as a counselor, it was like, I mostly saw the families that were not doing well. And uh, it is sad. Yeah. They're just trying to put food on the table. So yeah, the kid's family in every class, because that's not a priority. Yeah. You want to do your homework or you want to eat. And uh, that's a decision that uh, unfortunately a lot of uh, families have to make and, and education and financial literacy and financial affluence tend to go hand in hand. So if you come from a family that didn't have much, uh, no one could tell you about like, hey, you need to understand what stocks and bonds are and understand uh, that you need to start building your money mutual uh, account. Now, people don't know what that means, whereas other people are like, well, that's been set up for me when I, since I was two. Well, those people are the same age and maybe the same race, but are are they the same person? Are their prospects for future the same? No. And it's it. I think that's where a lot of the anger in this country comes from is people tell you go to college you get ahead you get out of college you have incredible debt life-altering debt that's accruing every year every month 
Nobody's coming to help. Nobody's coming to hire. The job that you went into college for is probably a fucking app now. And what do you do? And then you look around, you're 33, and there's an anger there because you're like, I did what everybody told me to do. I waited to have kids. I, I, I tried to buy a house. But then the, 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 the housing crisis um, happened, and we called it a crisis like it was a tornado. It was a planned thing in which nobody went to jail. Americans lost their homes. Our economy was destabilized for a decade. And in that destabilization, it allowed all these large conglomerates to go and buy up chunks of real estate and swell the the price of real estate to the point where, Chuck, I'm 46, and this is the only time in my life where somebody said, oh, I'm buying a new house. I don't say where. You ask, how did you do that? Yeah. Because now when people are buying houses, you better be a cash buyer, Doug. And you better be a cash buyer that's ready to compete with somebody that's coming in with cash plus 20%, plus willing to waive the uh, the inspection. Well, because there's all these uh, corporations are right. buying houses and renting them out. So that's really scary because if you want to own a house, like you're basically not going to be able to, which is really scary to think about that. I think I saw some statistic that said, by the year, I don't know what it was, 2040 or 2050, 40% of all homes will be owned by corporations. That's really, how is that not, I don't know what, like what uh, Sherman Trust or Monopoly or what law that, is that not breaking? I guess not. I don't know. It's not a law if you don't enforce it, bruh. And who's going to enforce it? Because you know what? The first person that goes, hey, we'd like to talk to you about these homes. And they'll be like, hey, uh, why don't you come in here? These two ladies are going to sit next to you and get you some scotch. <laughs> You'll be in the Chuck and Al suite. Yeah. <laughs> Anybody that tries to step up just gets bought because everything can be bought. Remember the million dollar man, WWE? Everybody's no, got my brother's a, a big wrestling. I'm not yeah. a wrestler. Well, he used to have a catchphrase. Everybody's got a price. And, uh, you know, it, sadly, the, the people that don't, the people that do try and walk through this world with some integrity that don't accept the bribes, you just trash their reputation because you have the means to. If I have a corporation in Chuck Schulte, who, what are you, a mayor? Let's say, let's say, let's say you're, let's say, let's say even you're in the House of Representatives. Good for you. Okay. You want to stand up against us? Okay. Well, uh, let's see. You got a daughter here. Uh, she has a videotape. We have a, uh, we, we, we might want to disseminate. You might not want to see it, but we could put that out. Uh, we could trash your reputation. We could say we could take something you said out of context and put it all over the internet, and people will think this way about you, whether it's true or not. Uh, we can. Uh, yeah, we see your wife works for the government. She can lose that job after twenty two years. You want to do? You want to play it this way, or do you want to take our briefcase and shut up? What do you want to do? And what are most people that are saying going to do? You standing in front of the fire is really great for a movie, but. When it's not a movie, when it's your life, when they, when you look in the eyes of true power that see you as a tick on the back of a charging rhino, it's it's very hard to try and impede. And it makes you wonder, what's the point? Uh, trying to, to be a whistleblower doesn't always... I mean, look at the people that tried to whistleblow at the White House. Those people are around 24-hour uh, uh, security for death threats. 
you know, there's there's not a lot of heroes that really get to see the efforts of their work rewarded in their lifetime. It's usually after, which is uh, which is a hard thing for a lot of people to swallow. I don't know if I could. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. What do you think about that? Um, now, I'm, is it Julian Assange? Is that his name? No, wait. Am I th- am I, no, what's the Edward Snowden? Edward Snowden. Yeah. Is it, what do you think of him? Do you think he's a hero or a whistleblower or a traitor? It is I, kind of like, I don't know enough about it to make a decision. Yeah. I, I don't either. And I've dug into it and I, I saw think the movie. The, I don't yeah. The thing that scares me more is the more you dig into it, the more you don't know. But I think that's what makes it real is that we have to watch a movie. It, like let's uh look at something like the blind side. That was a movie that a lot of people gravitated towards. I never saw it or had an You never saw The Blind Side? No. But I mean, I think I could gather from the, uh, you know, uh, from the trailer. But, you know, it appears that whatever the truth is, it wasn't what was shown. But what was shown, if it was true, made people feel good. And a lot of times what makes people feel good isn't the absolute truth because there's nothing that's all good and all evil. Did Hugh Hefner uh, do a lot in terms of uh, pushing um, the ability for women to embrace their sexuality out there and for Americans in general to embrace and stop being so sex negative? Yes. Did he? Uh, was there also some real foul stuff going on at that mansion at the point where there's yeah. a twelve document twelve? Yes. Do you know what you got to do to have a twelve part documentary that's an hour long? Do you know how much shit you have to do? I don't. Even if they just followed every day of my life, I don't know if I could fill twelve hours. Did you watch that? Diet? I it was did. Scary. I did. We we had interv- cameras we, and stuff before there was even like they must have been like high there, tech cameras at the time, expensive because and, there was not a lot of not people didn't have a the you know the ring doorbells and stuff back then so mm-hmm. that's pretty crazy well i mean is it though because if you think about hugh hefner he never had to atone for all the dead playmates the accusations of rape happening every other week and it, it seemed and sometimes twice a week and i can't imagine how many people od'd over there i can't imagine that everybody over there was over the age of 18 i can't imagine that uh you know and you you kind of answered the question that we've been dancing around you know, when it comes to conspiracies, people have them about Jeffrey Epstein and how was that able to continue and what happened with that? You answered it. Cameras, bro. They got everybody that you want to step up on camera doing whatever they wanted to do. And Unless Jeffrey Epstein. They control the cameras, then the, the cameras suddenly stop malfunctioning, like mm-hmm. with Jeffrey Epstein or. Right. We don't know who brought the cocaine in the White House. There's no cameras there. Well, yeah. Okay. There's, I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah, when I got my car stolen from the Denver airport, they were like, "Yeah, there's oh, no yeah. cameras at the at the in the parking lot." I was like, "Okay, Doc. All right, bro." You yeah, know, I was going to ask you about that. So that's in the special. You talk about that. Uh, you said it was a Dodge Challenger. Yes. What year was it? Was it a new Challenger? Or was it an old school Challenger? It it was old school, but it was so pretty. Uh-huh. I saw. I found. Uh, I found yeah. her in Texas. Uh, and an like a, one of those Auto Trader magazines, and I was like, I can't believe it's real. So I called the dealership. Matter of fact, it was when I first started DBL. Uh, cause I didn't bring my car to Denver cause I, my apartment was close and I was like, I might not need a car. And then it started getting cold. And I was like, I need a car. And, um, 
you know, I was looking around and I found this Challenger and I'd never had a muscle car. You know, I the, I was coming out. I think I just had a Subaru, I had a, not a Subaru, a uh, Hyundai Sonata, which is a very like dad teacher car. I was like, I'm a goddamn talk show host. I want a fun car for the first time in my life. Yeah, and I, got, I, I got the uh, the Challenger, man. She was so beautiful. They brought her to the studio on one of those trucks. And I just couldn't believe it was my car. You know, just that excited. Those are the car, kind of cars I would rent on the weekends when I was performing. And I just, I, I love this car. She was a 2016. And, oh, okay. Uh, so not like, I thought, I didn't know if it was like, I meant like 70s or like a more modern. Cause they, oh yeah. Yeah. yeah it so depends was, on like. So they were the, still able to steal it, even though it was, a, I thought that they had the technology since then to, it was really hard to steal newer cars. Well, yeah. I mean, apparently not. So many oh. cars were stolen at the Denver airport that the uh, uh, Nine News, the channel, um, the NBC affiliate here in Denver that shares a, a building, we share a building with them. They did a story about how many cars are being stolen from the Denver airport because uh, look and no cameras no, yeah how'd that happen i when the guy told me that i was like do i have i'm a fucking moron across my forehead everything and that's what i talk about in the special is you realize that at first yes i'm a victim of a car theft but also everything is its own ecosystem you just there it's its own financial ecosystem you just don't know you and i didn't know anything about it until i was immersed in it because you think when your car is stolen, the cops are going to be like, your car is stolen. Give me the plate number. We're going to, we got two guys in the Northeast area. They got them triangulated. It is smooth as jazz music. It's just the guy was like, don't worry about it, man. Just call Geico, blah, blah, blah. I ended up talking to the tow truck driver. He said they stopped doing the, uh, the cars that are illegally parked. And all they do is return stolen cars back to the owner. That's how many are happening a day. The, the body shop is in on it, bro. The uh the 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 colli- uh, the collision repair the uh the tow truck drivers the insurance companies uh the people that clean the inside of the car because people are one thousand percent stealing them to do methane all of this is all part of its own thing and you realize that every avenue you look into the world of autographs you know we're like its own thing and there's a racket in there and you look at girl scout cookies i talked about that in my first at in my uh in 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 the album i'm like where's the money you don't pay your employees you don't advertise you don't have any buildings you don't pay taxes you don't pay health insurance where's the money child slave labor Absolutely. And because it's this weird thing where like, even if if a girl knocked on your door during this podcast and was like, uh, hey, uh, I'm a six year old girl. I'm selling Oreos door to door. You would say, wait right here while I call the police. <laughs> only Girl Scouts are the only thing where children are allowed to walk up to strangers and sell them things because little girls disarm everybody. And you're like, sure. Plus the cookies are dope. So they have this racket where it's like it's it's more than even having a hot shot girl at a bar because not everybody wants shots and people can only do so many shots. But you got little girls going out selling it and their fucking parents at work who are a lot of times supervisors that are like, hey, who's signing up for these cookies? My daughter needs to win this year. Oh, yeah. What are you going to do, Chuck? Are you not going to buy any? Yeah, I'm your boss. a horrible person, yeah. Or or your boss might be like, okay, everybody bought boxes but Chuck. Okay. <laughs> no, no, it's not a problem. No, it's cool, man. Cool. I know. Yeah, the worst is like, because you're right. The Girl Scout cookies are actually it's good. Coercion. Like, 
What's the, is it the Boy Scouts or the Cub Scouts? They try to sell you this crappy popcorn. Yeah, it's no, so I, I'm like, I, I always say shitty popcorn. Chuck, no one wants anything that little boys have touched. And <laughs> you know, there's a there's a documentary uh, right now on HBO. Boy Scout one. Uh, yeah, Scout. That Honor. was creepy. Eighty two thousand uh, lawsuits about molestation. The problem is we keep saying that the Boy Scouts had a problem. What we're saying is that this sex ring that also took kids into the woods was discovered. The Boy Scouts are not, there's nothing that 82,000 cases, those are just the ones we know. We don't know about the people that took their own lives because of it or became offenders and are now in jail because of it. So on the street with addicted to fentanyl because exactly. So, and because don't forget, we're watching this as adults. When you're 12, especially back then when you're naive and people didn't know the ways of the world, you might have had one or two uh, adult figures that you looked up to. And if they do that to you, your understanding of the world is forever changed, forever sullied. And the idea that 82,000, and these are domestic, bro. I mean, come, what's going on? in other parts of the world where there's similar organizations are like, we're going to go to Canada. It, the, uh, the, the fact that this was allowed to go on for as long as it did is not my mistake because, you know, uh, when two live crew tried to put out an, an album, uh, you know, with curse words in it in the early nineties, the, the Supreme court locked down on that. I love Two Life Crew. Yes, there was a Supreme Court. Uh, that's why they had that song banned in the USA. Yeah, they, I love they were that tra- song. Yeah, they were trying to get them back. Ba- so it's so interesting what we choose to focus on. Jeffrey Epstein was doing this for years. Uh, Bernie Madoff has been doing this for, not years, decades. Decades. So this has been allowed to go on. Yeah. It was just only found out through the internet, through, you know, I mean, look, look at your, we talked about, painkiller and all the pharmaceutical uh documentaries that are on uh the rtvs as we sit here and speak how many jeffrey epstein documentaries are there there's one and it's four episodes is that the only interest people have in jeff why is there just one chuck there's two on the fire festival why is there just one four-part episode that's an hour long about jeffrey epstein that we're done know, with but that? there's a lot of TikTok and YouTube stuff about it. I could tell you if you want some podcasts, you just Google type in Jeffrey Epstein. You can find a lot of information. I don't know. It's probably half of it's conspiracy bullshit, but it's interesting. Well, I mean, it seems like Jeffrey, I mean, uh, Jeffrey was involved with uh, the prince of one of the princes in England like yeah. that. That ain't hype. That was real. He, and U.S. presidents, too. Republicans he, he was at Democrats. he was at Hillary Clinton's daughter's wedding. He was in these social circles and you were talking about bringing everything full circle to uh to back to the Playboy Mansion and why it's all the same thing under a different name. Uh, Hugh Hefner was pimping out girls. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein was pimping out young girls because that's what people in power want. Hugh Hefner had all those dudes out in Hollywood on tape and Jeffrey Epstein had all those dudes on tape. And once it was clear he couldn't get out, this is the first time he couldn't get out. Jeffrey Epstein was allowed to leave jail six out of seven days a week in return. He had to go there on the weekends. Look, and it's hmm. fascinating. Like it, it, it was, it was open corruption, but he had everybody that you and I know that has a, a, a Senator, 
or a secretary of state or president or mayor or police chief or CEO in front of their name on tape doing something they didn't want to be seen doing. And as soon as he couldn't get out of it. That's that's the thing that could bring people together is uh, blackmail. Right. Blackmail works. And that's why anytime somebody's inviting you onto their compound and saying, hey, go ahead and do this and smoke this and she wants that. Yeah. Well, just understand that you're starring in your own movie. So there you go. Lights, camera, action. Yeah. What, have you heard about all those kids disappearing in Ohio? I just heard about that. I haven't read about it. I got back uh, from work and, and hopped on but with you. But, you know, that's where I'm from. I'm from Northeast Ohio, from Cleveland. So, right. Yeah. you know, creepy stuff. It's uh, look, kids of all ages on. and races. I mean, it's it's really bizarre. It's it's it, it, it's it's terrifying. And I think this is the story as old as time. Uh, I just don't think it was as heavily investigated. I mean, there's a documentary called The Texas Killing Fields on uh, Netflix. And, uh, hmm. you know, there people in the neighborhood were saying, like, our girls are disappearing. And the disappearing. Dis- oh, Texas. That's not about the Native Americans, is it? No, that's, that's another, another thing. That's yeah. another one, which yeah. is terrifying. Nobody talks about it. Yeah. Uh, you know, and what goes on on those reservations. And it's lawlessness. It there's I think they said that there's like one cop covering like 900 square miles. It's something so ridiculous that even if I'm off by 500 miles, it's still ridiculous. And, you know, girls go missing and eh, yeah, poor girl from the reservation who's going to look poor black girl from Cleveland who's going to look poor, poor white girl from right outside Palm Beach who's going to look. I. I started my career in South Florida. I know that island and I know the neighborhood that's across the bridge. So it's almost like from medieval times, there's a bridge that leads you to that part. I did a gig over there and it's crazy how like wealth can be right in your face and you don't see it because when you and I would go to Palm Beach, we wouldn't have any reason to go on that bridge. We ain't got no business over there. But when you go over there and you do have business, you're like, oh, this is real wealth. This is that, this ain't, Bitcoin money, this, that other money, that real money, money, and that money that controls everything. Jeffrey Epstein has some problems over there with uh, young girls. You know what he did? He donated $450,000 to the West Palm Beach Police Department. And those problems magically went away. How'd that happen? Yeah. Oh, have you seen the telemarketers documentary? No. Should I watch that? Yeah, that's a good one, too, because... If you ever get those, do you remember like in the eighties and nineties and stuff? And I think even still today, like people would call and ask you to donate money to the policemen's, uh, the yes. and all these things. So these, I guess this is legal, which is fucking crazy. And they, they can, they could donate like 10% of the money. And the people that ran these telemarketing rings just made bank and they paid the, I guess they paid the telemarketers like kind of good, like enough that it was like worth it for people to get these jobs. But mm-hmm. it was basically just this giant like ripoff scheme where they were calling grandmothers and old ladies and getting them to donate their life savings and giving a small portion to police or blind or whatever. And they're just making bank and bankrupting these old people. It's, it's really sad. It's just yes. like story is old as time, I guess. And then we turn around and call them our greatest uh, generation. And really what they are is uh, ripe soil for ripoff artists to call and just take all their money. It's, uh, but again, that's why I, I said the beginning of the interview, you don't have what it takes. I don't have what it takes to make real money in this country because this country incentivizes you to capitalize and capitalize doesn't mean 
capitalizing on me. I'm pretty savvy. You're pretty savvy. But you know who's not? 82-year-old uh, grandmother who uh, has never touched a computer. And all you need to tell her is that this is going to the church or the cops yeah. or sick kids. And how could she ever track that? Would she ever track that? Get her to sign just, up for a monthly donation, even though she's on a fixed income. Who's going to step in? Nobody, because it's money. Money who's has the name of the authority attached to it, which gives it even more credibility because she's like, it shows up on my phone. This is the FOP, the Federal Order of Police or whatever. How could they be ripping me off? Yeah, yeah. watch this documentary. It's a good one. Yeah, there's so much stuff. Well, so much stuff. I, I People need to check out your uh, special. I want to ask you this before I, we wrap up, though, because uh, you toured with Andrew Dice Clay. Do you have any stories from that? Like, that's not, my buddy is friends with him. And so um, I tried to get him on the show. He's like, no, he doesn't. He won't do your podcast. But do you have a story about Andrew Dice Clay? Uh, I, I wouldn't say I have a story in that just like how we met was, uh, uh, you know, as I, the first time I ever worked with him uh, was at the Miami Improv. And it, I, I'm a comedy nerd that became a comic. And so I always feel like I always say the best way to sum up my career is like I'm a fan that's watching comedy and then somebody goes, Jackson, you're next. And I'm like, oh, you know, like I can do this, too. But I love comedy. I loved it before. I used to buy comedy records, comedy cassette tapes. I remember uh, one time one of my homeboys found a George Carlin CD in my room. And I don't know why I reacted. I just thought he was going to think like, because that was like before, like everybody was really intermeshed. So I thought like, they'd be like, oh, why are you listening to this white dude? So like when they, when they, when my boy found my George Carlin CD, it was a jamming in New York. I blamed it on my stepdad. I was like, oh, he left that in there. It's like, like it was a... Uh, a dirty magazine, but I didn't. I was such a comedy nerd. I don't know why. It's like when you look, you're like, why did why you did you do that? Of George Carlin? I don't know. I was like probably twelve, and just like I don't know who that is. You know, because you want to fit in. Like there was no like all the cool kids weren't listening to George Carlin. So I was like, it's my my stepdad's. You know, so that's hilarious. Yeah, it's so weird. So like I knew Dice, and I was just a, a, a fan of, of him and like what he did for stand up and just making stand up. Uh, almost like a, a, a arena rock, you know, like doing the biggest venues that that could hold human beings. And so when I met him, uh, I just assumed that I was just going to stand outside the green room and then just go do my act. And he opens the door. He goes, are you coming in or what? And I was like, all right. And I was like, I walked in there like one of the maids on Game of Thrones with King Joffrey. I was just like <laughs> sitting and he had uh, you know how like when you're sitting with like more than four people, so the waiter brings over that gigantic tray that looks like uh, it could cover an old mirror, like one of those big trays. It's like oval, you know <laughs> yeah, what I'm saying? Yeah. So it could fit huh? like nine soups on it. He had that. He just ordered everything on the menu. He had like a burger, chicken fingers, tilapia. He had everything that the the menu, and he just like he's sitting across and he just, he just goes eat. And I just reached for the first thing, and I just grabbed a burger and started eating. I was like. Andrew Dice Clay's talking to me. He was just cool as shit. We were just talking about comedy. And, you know, he's like, uh, do you tour with anybody? And I was like, no. And he was like, you're doing Orlando this weekend. I was like, okay. And he and I did a couple cities together, like his whole Florida run. And he was just super cool to me. And like his his people were really good to me. And it's really, um, it really helped me. Andrew Dice Clay, Bill Bellamy, 
uh, Jim Norton, Dave Attell, Hannibal Burris. These are all guys that I've toured with for uh, different at different points in my career, but for years and years that even though they were clearly in a position of uh, higher rank than me, they treated me like one of them. You know, I was on tour with Bill Bellamy for a couple of years and this is broke out. And like Bill would like real humble, like we go get something, he'd be like, go get some shoes, you know? And I didn't have money to get new shoes. You know, I, I wasn't like a street performer, but I was broke. I was a broke. This is before podcasts and opening acts and make money. He just took care of me like one of his own. And I, 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 I love him to this day. He showed me how to be a headliner, build an F around a drink before him in the middle of shows. I come in between the late, the early and the late show and Bill would have one ear pod in listening to the first show, seeing where he could get better. And it's just like Jim Norton. They all show me how to be professionals on the road. Wow. That's super cool. I love, see, this is the good stuff that, you know, we talked about so much bad stuff, but th yeah. this is the stuff that inspires me. You know, when you hear stories like that and, uh, you know, I love hearing stuff like that and same with musicians and stuff. Alice Cooper is a big rock star here in Phoenix. And I've heard so many good things about him. He has a charity and That's awesome. organization and stuff. So I love those kinds of things too. Yeah. There's a lot of greedy, evil, horrible people in the world, but there's also, I think there's a lot of good people. And I think even, I think it's most people, Chuck, if we want to end on a good note, yeah. I always say, bro, this thing wouldn't work if everybody was like that. There right. wouldn't be documentaries yeah. if everybody's exactly. like that. Most people yeah. are out here just swinging for the family, enjoying their kids while they can, and trying to have some good sex with their partner. Absolutely, you know, save a little bit, save a little bit for a rainy day. Not everybody's yeah. out here running Ponzi schemes. I wouldn't even know how to do that. I would screw right. it up and end up paying them money. Yeah, exactly. I'd be like, I wait a second, I owe you. Oh, it's my bad. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I always end promoting a charity. I think last time you were here. Well, you promoted something with, with homeless, was it homeless vets? I think you, yes, I believe uh, yeah. the last time I was on here is I went viral for that, uh, for that vets, uh, rant that I had on TV that I had no idea was going to go viral, mm -hmm. but it, this is great. I, look, since we've spoken, I've, I've been involved with a couple charities. So I'd love to, uh, promote two that are near and dear to my house. One I just did the fundraiser for last uh, week, we raised over $400,000, me and my girl, Tori Shulman, my co-host, uh, Mercy Housing. Uh, Mercy Housing, they, that's it. Yeah. Mercy Housing, they do, uh, you know, they provide affordable, safe housing uh, to people getting back on their feet. So, you know, we talked a lot of, uh, on the pod about, you know, people on the street and, and there's a tendency in our mind to just leave them. They're like, well, they're on the street. No, a lot of them want to get off the street and a lot of them do. But it's hard because the place you can afford to live, maybe it's not safe to have a 10 year old daughter there. You know, or maybe it's not safe for you to be there. Let's be real. And so they give them affordable housing that's dignified. And they also give them wraparound services. So they show them how to use online banking. All these things that we take for granted, uh, how to fill out a job application, how to talk in, a, in, a, in all these things that we take, talk, take for granted. So yes. they, they are awesome. So please, Mercy Housing and also uh, Firefly uh, School. My son is on the spectrum, my youngest son. Right. Uh, but early uh, intervention when uh kids have autism uh is just uh so important and uh i'm i i've lived it i've seen it and uh, a lot of these schools they need to expand to get these kids because a lot of these schools have uh waiting lists and you know as the months go by those are important for early intervention um so please uh, firefly uh school for autism or just you know, anywhere that you can donate uh, towards uh, autism, where this it's going to go to a worthy uh, organization, please do that. That's what you could do for me.
Okay, cool. And then the special is out now. It's called In Earnest. And you yes. also have a podcast, My Safe Word is More. Yes. Corinne Kaplan. So yes. the greatest title for a podcast. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, me and my girl Corinne, she was uh, she did two seasons of Survivor, one season of The Amazing Race. And she's just the most honest person. And that's what we need is honest conversation. So yeah, check out My Safe Word is More. Uh, but yeah, and also watch me every day on Daily Blast oh, yeah, Live. Of course, yeah. But Chuck, okay. let's do this more often. We yeah, did a absolutely. three hour pod because we haven't talked. It's all built I up. I know. I, I'm like, I was scared to reach out for a while because, like, you you were going viral. You had a call. I, I can't remember what it was. Maybe it was a homeless vet. There's a few things where I was like, yeah. oh, I, I was the Popeye's chicken too thing, too. Yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thanks for doing this and thanks for taking so much time. Hey, I love you, bro. Let's do it like real, real, real soon. Okay. Sounds good. See ya. Appreciate you. Bye. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the full podcast episode. Please help support our guests by following them on social media and purchasing their products, whether it be a book, album, film, or other thing. And if you have a few extra dollars, please consider donating it to their favorite charity. If you want to support the show, you can like, share, and comment on this episode on social media and YouTube. And if you want to go the extra mile, you can give us a rating or review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts. Finally, make sure you're subscribed to the show on YouTube for the video versions and other exclusive content. We appreciate your support. Have a great rest of your day and shoot for the moon.